This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today we got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Hardell Moore. So that guy is one of my favorite people on the planet Earth. He's actually my neighbor, but that's not the reason why I'm talking to him. I know I've told people before that I'm not just going to interview random people on the podcast like, hey, here's my barber. Here's my neighbor. Here's my lawn guy. But this guy is an exceptional human being. He wrestled for Oklahoma State, so that is the preeminent wrestling program in the history of uh, collegiate wrestling. He wrestled there in the mid to late 90s. He is a two-time All-American, but the thing about this guy is he did an, an amazing, he had an amazing career while he was in college, right? He was a national runner-up in 1998. We certainly get into that in the interview, but he's spent the last 20 plus years coaching. And here's the deal is anytime you're a national level, like a national title level wrestler or level anything, football player, baseball player, squash player, whatever the situation might be, it's not always a, a easy transition into coaching. Some of the best people ever at their sport are, they're just horrific at coaching, right? So there are some uh, baseball players that came to mind, like Ted Williams tried his hand at kind of being a hitting coach. But the thing with Ted Williams is his eyes were just different. There was just something different about that guy. So he couldn't just teach people how to do the things that he was able to do because they just didn't have the skills that he had. But the thing about Hardell Moore is he's been able to transition. And the transition, I I won't say it was easy, but uh, we also get into that here in the interview. But he's spent the last 20 years turning uh, this this small kind of Oklahoma club into the OWA, Oklahoma Wrestling Academy. And this is one of the best year-round wrestling clubs in the entire nation. And he's basically the, the main force behind that. There's a lot of great people that have their hand in, in OWA and the things that they do there. But this is just a super interesting guy, married with two kids. In this podcast, we talk about everything. We talk about his early years of wrestling, his two state titles. We talk about why he went to Oklahoma State. You know, what it was like at Oklahoma State, what it was like, you know, wrestling for John Smith, what it was like having some of the teammates that he had, his relationship with some, you know, special teammates, which we'll get into to some of those, uh, some OSU alumni. But we also get into... You know, what was it like transitioning from being a coach or being a a wrestler into a coach? And what's it like dealing with parents nowadays versus back in the day? What's it like dealing with kids nowadays versus back in the day? We talked about parenting advice. We talked, we talked about so many different things. I really, really enjoyed this interview. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hardell Moore, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate Absolutely. I, I We've been trying to get this uh, going for a little bit, so I'm glad we finally got it scheduled up. But we're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. We're going to cover a lot of ground. But just to kind of go into it, obviously, you are known for wrestling, whether it's wrestling as a competitor or as a coach, you are known for wrestling. But if you could kind of even take us back to the very beginning. So when you're growing up, what was it about wrestling that was attractive to you? Like, were there other sports that you played? Like, how did you even get into wrestling? Well, uh, that's a great question. So my story is probably a little bit different on, on how I got into it. My dad never wrestled a day in his life. He was a basketball player. I have uh, two older brothers, Harvey Moore and Howard Moore. I'm the uh, the baby of the family. So we moved from Little Axe to Coweta, Oklahoma, and there was a flyer that was sent out to Howard School. I was four years old at the time. Um, he brought the flyer back to my dad and my dad always told me that if he said that he had boys when he was younger, that he was going to get them into wrestling. And sure enough, he had three of them. Two of us wanted to wrestle. Well, Howard came home with the flyer, gave it to my dad. We went to go sign up. I didn't sign up at the time, just Howard. I was only four. Um, so during the wrestling practice, I would run around with them while they were warming up and I'd go through stretching. Well, Howard start going to tournaments. And at this point in the time, some of these tournaments were basically like lock-ins where the wrestlers would spend the night and sleep right, in right. the wrestling mat. 
Well, as a four-year-old kid, that was pretty daggone cool. Right, right? yeah. So there was a two-day tournament we went to. I don't remember where it was at. We go to the tournament. Howard finishes wrestling for the first day. We're leaving, and I asked my mom and dad, where's Howard at? And they were like, well, baby, he gets to stay the night in the wrestling gym. Well, I want to wrestle. I want to stay the night in the wrestling gym. One thing led to another. Coach at that time, Ron McGill, next week or two weeks after that, he's like, Ernest, you want her to wrestle? And that's how I got into it, and it's pretty much history after that okay so so did you wrestle is that all you did was wrestling did you do other sports at the time at that time no so i mean at that time that's all i did i started at wrestling um played a little bit of baseball um and then when i was in sixth grade was my first year to play tackle football okay Um, so wrestling and football became my my sports. Um, I stopped playing baseball when they started throwing the curveball. That was not my... Uh, <laughs> Gets quite a bit harder yeah, to hit it. Yeah, a little bit tougher there. So I stuck with wrestling and football. I knew wrestling was going to be my ticket to college to get a great education and wrestle on the highest level possible. Um, I got a few letters from some smaller colleges in, in football. But once again, like I said, I knew wrestling was going to be my bread and butter. Howard, my middle brother, um, was a four-time All-American and a two-time national champ uh, at uh, University of Central Oklahoma. So, you know, growing up from in Coweta and, and, and watching him do what he was doing in Coweta and then watching what he was doing on the college level, and that's what I decided I wanted to do. Probably when I was about probably a sophomore, right? I didn't go to state my freshman year. I got beat out at regionals. Mm-hmm. Um, I made it to state as a sophomore, got second. And then my junior and senior year, I uh, I ended up winning the state title. But I started getting my name out nationally after my sophomore year in high school. So would it have been your sophomore year where you really kind of felt like, okay, now's the time where I know this is kind of my meal ticket to college? Like, was it around that time? Did you did you know from the moment you got on the mat the first time that you were going to, you know, kind of give us an idea of when you figured all that out? No, you know, and that's one of the things, you know, I coach a lot of youth kids and I tell these parents, there's no college coaches coming to recruit your child right now. Like, it means a hill of beans to them. Sure. Like, you know, let's focus on attitude and effort. Um, but when I became a sophomore, I had a, I had a good season. Um, didn't finish the way I wanted, but had a good season. And then I started doing freestyle. And I did freestyle before, but then I started traveling more national tournaments, right, and kind of getting my name out and becoming more nationally known instead of locally, you know, known. And kind of got my name on the radar after sophomore year. And then definitely after junior year, my sophomore summer, I won cadet nationals. Mm -hmm. So that helped me. I come back my junior year, win state. I finished runner up at junior nationals. So that helped me. So now my name's kind of getting out there more nationally, right? So did you feel like as you were performing better and as you were doing well and as your name was getting out there, do you feel like that increased the pressure on you? Like did, did the coaching, did the level of coaching change around you? Because sometimes with certain wrestling programs, the coaches know like Henry Cejudo comes to mind where like a lot of the teams that he was on, it was all about Henry. No matter what, they didn't really care about anybody else. It was all about Henry Cejudo. And some people think that's good. Some people think that's bad. Did anything change for you as you were kind of coming up that way? No, you know, there was no special treatment. Right. And the way I kind of looked at it is I wanted to be a leader, not a follower, regardless of what my record was, regardless of if I won that weekend or lost that weekend. Right. We are a team, you know, and it's totally different in an MMA sense. Right. Because those guys, don't get me wrong, they are putting their life on the line and they are specializing in that as wrestling and especially on the college level um, uh, or let me take that back. High school level. It's not as individualized. 
when you get to college and they have, you know, three, four, five coaches, maybe it kind of becomes more individualized. Like you may have a one on one with the assistant coach in the morning. Right. Mm -hmm. Or you may have an extra one on one with the head coach that afternoon. But still, it's still a team aspect. Right. So no one's treated differently. You're all treated the same. And sometimes the your better wrestler or athlete may be treated the toughest because coach wants you to know, hey, this dude's the top dog. Right. He's got to do everything right. Just like, you know, someone that's either a backup or not starting or whatever the case may be. They got to do that. I'm holding you to the same level as this guy. If I get on him, you better believe I'm going to get on you too, regardless of where you're at. So, I mean, you didn't get any special treatment. You win state your junior and senior year. When did OSU start coming on the map? So for, for those of you that aren't very familiar with the sport of wrestling, I know there's a lot of guys that uh, listen to this internationally as well. Oklahoma State is the preeminent wrestling school in the country. Now, lately, it's been Penn State because they've won, what, seven of eight or eight right, of nine. Like right. it, they, They're absolutely stellar right now. But it, what is it, 34 national championships for Oklahoma State wrestling? It, I mean, for for you... Why Oklahoma State? Because it doesn't just mean, hey, I'm from, I'm an Okie, so I'm going to go to Oklahoma State. When did they kind of come on the radar? What, did John Smith come to one of your duels? Kind of, how did all that come to be? Well, it kind of came about, you know, when they they recruited my brother, right? Um, um, Coach Smith and Kenny Monday came to the house, uh, both Olympic champions um, came to the house, and I'm sitting there like, man, this is pretty daggone cool. I didn't think I would end up at OSU. Just like any younger brother, you see your older brother wrestling at a college. And automatically you're thinking, I want to follow in his footsteps. I want to wrestle at UCO. OSU, we used to go watch him when I was little. Um, probably didn't become a goal um, until probably I was around my junior year, right, when I would see Coach. And then I start wrestling his brother, Mark Smith, a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So now my name's getting known through that that family. Um, so that's probably when that OSU started coming coming in and thinking, you know what, this could be possible that I could wrestle right here in my backyard to one of the most storied program, if not the most storied program around, 34 national titles, you know, and, and we're continued to get better. And, and like you said, Penn State's been the top top dog for a while. You know, I was in there right mm-hmm. now. Um, so it was uh, – O State's the mecca, man. It was just – it was it was an honor and a blessing to wrestle for that university and Coach Smith. Were there any other universities that you were considering at the time? Like, because for those of you also that don't pay attention here, right in Edmond, where we're recording this, is the University of Central Oklahoma, and they are one of the most decorated wrestling programs. You know, div- regardless of division, this is a Division two school. It was a uh, an NAIA school back in the day, but a, an unbelievable amount of national championships. Off the top of my head, I think it's sixteen or seventeen national championships as a team, and they've got a lot of All Americans, a lot of national championship winners. I mean, we're really in the backyard of wrestling country here. But outside of UCO or OSU, were there any other schools that were looking at you that were interested? Yeah, it was uh, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, and OU okay. were, my, were my top three at that point in the time. And uh, I took a recruiting trip to Iowa State with uh, with some good buddies from the state of Oklahoma. Um, I took my trip down to Norman to OU as well with some other good buddies. And I took my my, uh, my trip to uh, Oklahoma State once again with some other good buddies. And, and you know, it, it came down to a feel for me. You know, my dad really wanted my middle brother to go to OSU, but that's not where he wanted to go. Um, and then when it came my turn, like, you know, I kept my options open. I took my recruiting trips and um, it just came down to OSU was it, man. I had a perfect fit. I went to go watch a practice. Um, it got a little heated in there, mm. um, a little fisticuffs going. And I just was like, you know what? I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this tradition here at this school. 
So you arrive on campus. Your first year was 1995, correct? Uh, 93. Red okay. shirt, redshirted in 93. Um, Pat Smith was getting ready to become the first four-time national champion. So needless to say, I took a lot of butt whoopings uh, my <laughs> yeah. freshman year um, from Pat Smith, Mark Branch, Alan Free, J.J. McGrew, and even Coach Smith and Coach Perry. Um, so it was, a, it was a learning lesson. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, – uh, I mean, I already had humility, but it taught me humility on a different level um, because wrestling's hard. Right. Um, and on that level, when you're wrestling that type of talent on a consistent basis, you have no other choice but to get better. Right. And if you do not get better, it's your own fault. So you got to take advantage of that. And even if you're getting your tail kicked for two hours during that practice, it's going to make you a better person, better man, better wrestler. Well, so I, w- I want you to talk about that a little bit because most adults, yeah, I mean, you got a, a lot of adult males listening to this podcast right now. Most adults don't have anything that's even similar to that, where they've got that thing that's so hard, that's that constant butt kicking. But there's kind of two different ways to look at that. So you were, you know, Mr. Everything, two-time state champion in high school, and then you go to Oklahoma State and you're just another guy in the room, right? But then there's the other side of it, which is, can you beat up the guy that you were six months ago? Because I remember telling that story and the guys on the podcast will recognize that, but I was kind of getting frustrated with jujitsu, you know, another grappling sport. And, you know, I felt like I was stagnating and I wasn't really getting any better against the same guys, you know, who are also getting better at the school, but, you know, they're five, six, 10 years ahead of me. And finally, one of my coaches was like, Kyle, what would you do to you from six months ago? It's like, oh, I would, I would smoke that guy. Right. And I didn't know where he was going with that, but right. he's just like, Dude, that's the whole point. You're Shut better. up. Just deal with it. So kind of talk through what that was like going from being the man to just being another guy in the room. You know, it was uh, – I'm not going to sit here and lie. At It was tough. Uh, my first practice – so prime example, my first practice, I go in and wrestle John Smith. And for some of your audience that may know or may not know who this guy is, he's the most decorated American wrestler we have. Flat out, point blank. Um, I wrestled with him and Pat Smith for two hours. I didn't score any points. Only spo- only points I scored were escapes. <laughs> they let me go. Right, That's they it. cut you. Cut me. After that, I had to go to the workout room, and Coach Perry put me through a tremendous workout. It was it was it was it was it was miserable. I called my mom that day when I got back to my dorm, and I really told her I was like, I don't know if I belong here. I don't know if I belong here, and she told me to suck it up, which I did. Um, but it was humbling, right? Because I wasn't used to that. But just like we teach our kids now. You get bucked off, you get your tail back on that horse, and you keep riding. And that's what I did. And I realized that I, I was getting better. And I tell the kids now, when they wrestle in college for three, two, three, four months, depending, or some of them come home on Christmas break, it slows down. Because mm-hmm. now they'll come in and wrestle a high school kid, and they're, they're like, it's almost like, I can't believe I was that bad almost. Because sure. you get better. You get better really without realizing just like you just talked about that you're getting better because you're still getting beat up on but you got to remember who you're competing against in a regular day-to-day basis right and when i had a chance to go to open tournaments and wrestle other people besides my teammates and all those guys i just named off all won national titles and i'm just a little old dude from coweta oklahoma mm-hmm. and i realized you know what i'm getting better and that's the marathon part that I talk about to my parents and kids. It's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a long journey. So when when do you feel like you went from being, you know, the whipping boy in the room, getting beat up not only by the, the other wrestlers, but the coaches? Mm-hmm. When do you feel like you started to turn the corner? 
It was probably for me at the four month period. No, no joke. Um, I actually scored a takedown. I scored. I scored points on Pat. A legit takedown. A legit down. takedown. No, okay, yeah, a yeah. Legit takedown. And Pat would always like to wrestle me because I wrestled him. Right. I showed him. Res- I, I didn't show him respect while we wrestled. You, I didn't, wrestled. you didn't wrestle like you were scared. No, like, oh, this is some dude. Yeah. Like, it's and like, I'm, you, I'm coming. You, for if you. you kick my tail this day, guess what? You kick my tail. I'm coming back tomorrow. Right. You kick my tail that day. I'm coming back tomorrow. And, you know, I didn't have a choice because either Pat would kick my tail. Alan Freed would kick my tail. J.J. McGrew, Mark Branch, you know, you name it. They were there and they were all around my weight. So I had to buck up. Mm-hmm. Right, I had to buck up and become a man and put my bootstraps on and go wrestle and compete with these guys because they're teaching you something at that moment in time. It may not feel like it, but they're teaching you something. And you know, it's life. You're gonna get knocked down. Get up. You know, go forward. You know, like Denzel Washington says, "Fall forward." That's sure. what you want to do. Fall forward. And so you you obviously seem to have gotten kind of that calloused mindset early in your first year because it's like you're you're just taking medicine every day but you're taking your medicine right and you're coming back the next day where's my medicine let's keep getting that medicine but when you when you talk about the room and for those of you that have never experienced a wrestling room it, it's a different animal it's, it's not a football locker room it's not a baseball dugout it's just a different animal in the room so if you can go back to those days early days or later on uh, in your time in Oklahoma State was there a teammate that you felt was especially helpful for you, whether they you know, took you under their wing and or just competing with them day in, day out, made you better? Was there a teammate that maybe you never got the jump on? I mean, let's just stay in the room. Like, What was the room like for Hardell Moore? The room was a battleground every day. That's what that room was. Um whether it was with like all the guys I've named. And I'd probably say Branch, Mark Branch would be the guy. And the reason why, he was a sophomore while I was a freshman. So we were only a year apart. Pat and Allen and JJ were all seniors when I was a freshman. They were all seniors when I was a freshman. So me and Branch became great friends. Not that I wasn't great friends with those other guys, but, you know, me and Branch traveled a lot more together. Um, We drilled a lot more together than those guys. And, I mean – I was 158, he was 167. So it kind of, you know, it went hand in hand. And he would probably be the guy that helped me out the most, especially um, on mat wrestling. Branch is six foot two, six foot three, and wrestled 167 pounds. So he was all legs and all arms. Mm. And he was considered one of the best leg riders ever. And the dude could ride legs. And it helped me out learning how to get off bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that becomes, you know, up top, you know, between your ears, a mental game. And, uh, you know, we had some battles in that wrestling room, and it it paid off for both of us. Paid off for both of us. So for you, I guess, everything rotates. You have the upperclassmen that eventually they leave the program or something like that. And, you you know, you always hear about guys coming back to the room, you know, afterwards, especially if they're going on to the Olympics or something Mm -hmm. like that. They'll Mm -hmm. keep coming back to the room. But what was it like for you when you eventually kind of took – took their place right you were a junior or senior you know yeah. you're an all-american now you're, you're that you're that guy what was it like when you saw the the new Hardell Moore or like that other kid yep. that kind of came in that was just wide-eyed maybe from a small town like what was that like kind of changing shifts or shifting where you were well you pay it forward yeah right and that's that's kind of that's your job right nobody needs to tell you that nobody told Pat or Mark or none of them dudes to help me out they wanted to help me out because in turn it helps the program out mm-hmm. right and you pay it forward so when I became a sophomore and junior and definitely senior year you know you'd have 
you know, Jamil Kelly, Olympic silver medalist that came in from last in junior college, right? Guy never, never all American, never was a high school state placer, but becomes an Olympic silver medalist. Mm -hmm. You know, he kind of became my little brother on the squad, right? Mark Munoz. Okay. I know a lot of MMA people know who Mark Munoz sure. is coming from Vallejo, California. He didn't start wrestling until he was a freshman. That's ridiculous. It's crazy. That's so right? crazy. And becomes a national champion. So when he came in, I kind of took him under my wing, right? And just kind of teaching him how to cut weight, get your proper rest, what your diet's like, so on and so forth, and just how to be ready to compete. And that's kind of that's the same thing that those guys did for me, same thing I did for them, same thing these guys are doing now. Brand, I mean, uh, Munoz and Jamil did the same thing to the younger guys coming in, and it's just an ongoing process. And that's one thing I love about our O-State wrestling family. You know, we are a family. We got a lot of guys coaching many different places, but somewhere down the line, everybody has helped another person out. Kind of walk me through a little bit of – the examples, and you don't have to name names, and we're not here to flame anybody, but the people that you saw that didn't respond well to the medicine, to the maybe they, they came in as a hot shot and there was nothing John could tell them, nothing an upperclassman could tell them. They already knew they were the guy. They didn't need your help. And because the thing with a lot of those guys, eventually they do flame out. Mm-hmm. And also, the room might reject a guy. And the last thing that you want to have happen in a wrestling room is to be the rejected wrestler, right? Because right. these are the guys that you're, you're the iron that's helping, you know, someone else charge and their iron against right. throughout throughout a season and throughout like a training camp at once you move on to MMA or or the Olympic trials or something like that but did you see some of that some guys that came in the room and maybe they just they couldn't hack it they were two three time state champions in high school came to the room and flamed out kind of walk us through something like that well you you see that you know you see that consistently especially in in, in college wrestling and once again I don't care what level it is d1 d2 doesn't matter some of these guys are not used to getting their butt whooped on a consistent basis. And it's all about how do you handle that? How do you battle back from that? What do I do? What is my next step? Do I cower down and go home? Or do I man up and get back into the room? Mm -hmm. And some of them just didn't have, you know, in all due respect, the mental toughness to do it. It's hard. I mean, it is hard. And, you know, coaches don't feel any pity for you. They may love you, but they're not going to feel any pity for you. You know, you're here on a, a scholarship. You are a student athlete here. Right. We brought you here for a reason. And that reason is to get your great education and help this team win, win, win titles and, and matches and duels and, and titles and things for yourself. So some of them you have some of them wasn't coachable. They weren't coachable. Right. Didn't have an open mind coming in. Didn't want another willing to learn and just figured this is the way I've done it. I've been successful this way for so long. Why change anything? You know, and when you get to that next level, you got to change something. Right. You have to adapt, uh, you know, a little word. You got to be a chameleon. You got to be able to adapt to things. You got to be able to change. You got to be able to adjust on the fly. You got to be able to make adjustments. You got to be able to, more importantly, listen to the coaches that are telling you stuff because they've done it. They lived it. They know what they're talking about. But if you shut them out and just think you're going to do it your way, it's eventually going to come up and bite you. Well, I definitely appreciate your perspective on that. The thing that I want to kind of get into now is obviously when you go to Oklahoma State, there are expectations. Like, you know, the expectation is not just that you're going to be be a nice guy and, you know, just get good grades, even though that is super important for a student athlete. It's obviously that you want to be an All-American. You want to help the team win a national title, those types of things. That's why someone goes to Oklahoma State. So kind of walk us through that transition for you from, you know, again, coming from high school, going to college, but now as a junior and senior, you're looking to become an All-American. You're looking to becoming a national champion what was that transition like well you know for me it was um 
it was tough. You know, my freshman year, I go in. Um, I'm not seated. I have the number five guy in what we had, what a pigtail the first round. I beat the number five guy. I turn around. I win my next match. Um, and then I, I lost my match after that and won two more on the backside and came up short. Not All-American. Sophomore year, looking into, man, I'm, I'm ready to go win a title. Um, I, I definitely want to go win a title. If I can't get my title, I got to be on the podium. Um, had a good season, battled all the way through. The guy that beat me in the blood round, I beat earlier in the year, right? That's where the humility comes in yep, with yep. wrestling. Um, every match is different. And I didn't wrestle a good match. Kudos to him. He All-American, I didn't. So going into my junior year, I think preseason I was ranked two behind. Now take that back. I was four behind. There were some studs up there. Joe Williams um, was one. Ernest Binion was another one. Um, Matt Hughes was ranked either in front of me or behind me at that time. Um, and it was in uh, Northern Iowa, the UNI Dome. All mats on the football field, closed dome. Um, win my first two matches, um, get to the quarterfinal round. Now, I've gotten to the quarterfinal round before, but I've never won that. Once you win the quarterfinal round, you get into the semis and you're automatically an All-American. If you lose in the quarterfinal round, you go to the backside and still have to win some matches. So this was a big hump for me. And I was four seed. Matt Hughes was five seed and never wrestled him. And this is the Matt Hughes, this guys. Is, for any UMMA yeah. fans, it's that horse-necked Matt Hughes. Yeah, it's that Matt Hughes. And, you know, on one of the, the, the commentaries, I heard Joe Rogan say something about Matt Hughes is possibly the strongest individual in MMA pound for pound. That is the truth. That gotcha. dude was freakishly strong, athletic as all get out. Um, he rode me for over a minute. I ended up taking him down. I ended up winning by one point, but it was a – it was a dogfight. He ended up All-American in as well. Um, I got beat in the semis by Joe Williams, um, and I ended up getting fourth. I got beat by Ernest Binion from third and fourth. So that was my junior year. Senior year, preseason, I'm, I was two. Timor Terry from Nebraska was one. Byron Tucker from OU was three. So it was just that whole senior season, I lost once or twice. Ended up being three times because I lost in the national finals. So, you know, at that point in time when you're competing, you're not – you don't really get enough time to sit down and kind of reflect on what you've done. You know, granted, it's not like it's an NBA career or an NFL career that you play for 13, 14 years. You know, you have that short span of four or five years in college. And it took me a while to reflect and really – understand what I did accomplish and how many people have tried to get to that point but have never succeeded so you know I boycotted NCAAs for about four years <laughs> yeah. um, I I didn't want anything to do with it I had my little league stuff going but my mom and dad still went to the national tournament and then one year one of my other buddies was going and I was like you know what I need to start getting back in and there you have it so but looking back on it man I accomplished a lot I'm extremely proud of what I've done um, you know, and, and like you said, when you go to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, you know, it's a different level. You're expected to win. And that's that. I mean, especially in the wrestling world, you are expected to win. And there's nothing wrong with that. You want that. You need to have that. And that's, you know, that's where wrestling from such a young age to getting to that point builds you up for that. And especially when you get to these colleges, like, yeah, you're still having fun, but you want to win. And that's the different mindset 
that I tell my young ones now, you know, right now you just go wrestle. This doesn't mean anything. Nobody's coming to recruit you. You get to high school, it becomes a little bit more serious. Sure. Yeah. Right? You get to college, it's a different ball game. You're wrestling men, and they're there to rip your head off if you're not ready for it. Well, I want to talk a little bit more about your senior year and about coming in as a runner-up in the the national title or for the national title. So, one thing that I've noticed in watching the the national tournament is, so well, I'll contrast it with maybe you know the the natty for for football or for March Madness or something like that. When you see a team come in second. Right. I mean, there's there's guys splayed out on the on the field crying, you know, they they got a towel over their hat on the bench and they're they're just they're overwhelmed with emotion. And, you know, they always the camera always finds them, right? They find the guys celebrating, they also find the guys that are covered in the wrong color of confetti and having a complete meltdown on the field. But when I watch the national titles, uh the national title duels or in and the, the matches in the tournament when guys get second place, I don't see that. They're, they're obviously visibly disappointed, but they shake the guy's hand as they do after every match, and then they walk off the mat and, and go back to the locker room and deal with it however, however they decide to deal with it. And so for a guy like you, yes, to, to say that you were an Oklahoma State wrestler puts you in a rare fraternity of people. And then to say that you're an All-American on the collegiate level, the Division One collegiate level, is something different. But when you when you tell someone that you're a runner up, it's like they forget all the rest of that. Mm-hmm. And even it sounds like you you forgot a little bit of that mm-hmm. as well because you had to take some time away. Kind of walk us through how you were able to process that even a little bit in more detail of you were just that close to what would I I assume was your goal all along going to Oklahoma State, which was to bring a national title yeah. back at your weight class. Yeah, yeah. it's uh it's heartbreaking um, because you work so long for it, you work so hard for it, and you live the right way, right? You're doing all the right things. You put in the work. You put in the extra work without anybody telling you to put in the extra work. And, you know, all you can do is put your best foot forward. And, you know, I controlled the controllables, right? And it's it was my attitude and it was my effort. And I gave great, I had a great attitude and I had great effort and I wrestled my tail off. I, I just came up short that day, right? The better man won that match. Kudos to him. And that's all you can do. But, you know, in, in, in wrestling, when I lost that match, I remember walking off the stage, off the podium, going off into the tunnel. And, you know, I had tears flowing down my eyes. My head is kind of down. And I'm just, I'm heartbroken. I'm dejected. I'm, I'm, I feel horrible. I feel like I let people down, I think, is one of the main things that was running through my head. And don't get me wrong. I, I shed many more tears in the back. I kicked a few things in the back. You know, I hugged my coaches and they allowed me to cry on their shoulder in the back. Um, and I was probably back there for about 15, 20 minutes, stood on the podium, got my award. But it all kind of clicked for me when I got to go upstairs and see my mom and dad. Son's going to come up the next day. It's a wrestling match. It's something I've worked my whole life for. I came up short. I got to keep moving, Right. I got to keep moving. I was down. I was out. Uh, but I had to compose myself in the back before I went up and saw my mom and dad. My brothers were there as well. And, you know, the Oklahoma State fans and friends and other family that I had up there. Um, and sometimes you just say, I'm sorry. Right. And and they, they get it because it's it's tough. It's mano a mano, man. And, you know, I got beat that day. And once again, humility. But pick yourself up. 
hold yourself accountable for the mistakes you made during that match and realize, you know what, I'll get better from this. It wasn't my time to win a national title. I have to get better from this. And I think, you know, that has helped me pour into the to the youth the way I have. I still would have poured into them if I won a national title, but that's part of my story. That's part of my makeup. That's who I am. And I can tell these kids now how to prepare for a big match, how to control your emotions during a big match. Um, and uh, But, yeah, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, and, and I still remember it to this day. I have not watched my national finals match. Um, funny story, we were at the Hall of Fame a couple years back, and I was at a meeting, and I hear Maddox was with me, my son, and he was out there. And At the Hall of Fame, you can pull up any wrestling match, and you can find it. Well, he figured out how to use the little computer system. <laughs> of out course there. he did. And I hear whistles blowing and stuff like that. I'm like, man, that's awfully loud. Well, I opened my opened the door, and he's sitting there watching my NCAA finals match. And I looked, and I said, are you watching my match? He goes, yep. And I just closed the door. I turned the volume down and closed the door and went back to the meeting. <laughs> well, so you're, you're going to have to tell me a little bit more about that because that's, that's a little bit surprising, but you hear that. You hear that from guys that are in any type of combat sports yeah. or really anything like, oh, did you watch You know, when you lost the Super Bowl? Did you watch when you lost the World Series in Game 7? So for you, like, what, what makes that an especially – Maybe not painful, or maybe it is painful. Well, why can't you watch it? Just bring back some memories, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it, I don't care who you are, and, and some I give I give kudos to the guys that can watch those matches. And I've watched matches that I've lost. I'm not saying that, but that one, that was a tough, one, right? That was the tough one, and that was. The, is it tough because you thought you should have won? Like thought I should have won. Yeah. Um, didn't wrestle to my potential. And it's just still, it's still, it's 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 a part of my my makeup. Maybe someday I may watch it. I say that there's no way I'm not watching it. That's 20 plus years now. I'm not watching that match. You and, sure? I mean, I mean no, you, you could be no. another. What? A, give it another 20 years. 40 years from now, you're no, not going to watch it. No, I'm not going to watch it. It's all I got it all up here. Okay, I don't need you to replayed watch it. it already. I replayed it numerous times. I replayed it when I went to bed that night. I still think about it, and even when people ask me, it still brings up, and I replay it again. So mentally. Mm -hmm. Right. I've watched it, just not visually, I guess, if that makes sense. I watch it every day. I watch it every day. And, you know, that's what those our competitors we talk about. Like we forget all about the great wins that we had. Of course. You remember your losses. Mm -hmm. And that's in any competitive. And that's what some people remember, too. They forget about the great wins. They remember some of the losses, you know, but it 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 has made me who I am today. I, I have a feeling I would have been the same solid dude I am now, but it just it, it it's life. It's something that I wanted and worked my tail off for, but I came up short. And that's gonna happen. I'm not the first, I'm not the last, I'm not the only one, you know. So it's common ground with a lot of us that have became runner ups. You know, prime example, you know, Derek White, you were over at my house last year watching the finals. Sure. You know, I've coached him since he was five years old. Mm-hmm. He had the chance to wrestle in the NCAA finals. You know, I wish he would have won first. He's a runner up just like his coach. So we have something in common and nothing to hold our head down about, right? Nothing to be ashamed of, right? That's a huge accomplishment sure. in the big picture. But, you know, I'm just blessed that he got him an education and got the chance to be on that stage. So as we kind of start to put a little bit of a bow on your college career, when you look back, 
And I, I might go back to that national title uh, yeah, match here in a second. I might make you watch it here uh, and make you make everybody make listen you to your commentary. That, okay, all right. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. But were there any guys that you wrestled on a regular basis, like you just kept seeing them in duels, you kept seeing them in tournaments, that they just had your number, and in the same in the reverse, where there are dudes that were absolute monster killers in their conference or in that region, and you just, they couldn't touch you? Um, somebody that did have my number was Joe Williams from Iowa. Okay. Um, Joe was from Mount Carmel High School in Chicago, Illinois. And long, lanky, athletic, smart, quick, fast, all the attributes was a, at that point in time, was a huge 158-pounder. I thought I was a good size 158-pounder, but Joe made me look small. Um, we would always have dog fights, man. It would, in, it would be one, two-point matches, overtime matches. Um, probably the closest I got to beating Joe was at national duels in 90, I think it was 97, our junior year. Uh, we go into ultimate ride out and I got the choice and I chose down and I think it was two to two at the time or whatever the case may be. And, um, 30 seconds on the clock and I get to my feet, I get pushed out of bounds. I come back down, I get back set, whistle blows, I explode up. Joe drops down to an ankle, and I'm, I'm mule kicking. I'm kicking away from him, trying to get away, trying to get away. And I get away, and I'm getting ready to turn around. And right before I try to turn around on my knees, man, that dude reaches O'Long's arms out, grabs my legs, ends up riding me out and wins. Um, he beat me in the semifinals that year. Even Joe beat me in high school. One time we wrestled at, uh, at Junior Duels, and he beat me there. So that was somebody I never could get over the hump with. We got great respect for, for each other. I haven't heard from him for a while, but solid dude. And then someone that I used to wrestle all the time, Bedlam, Byron Tucker. Byron Tucker's from West Virginia. We wrestled 11 times over our three-year career because I was a year in front of him. Mm -hmm. um, I can proudly say that I won eight and he won three. Yeah. Um, but we had battles. And, and, you know, back then, and they started again this year, Bedlam was twice a year. It was earlier in the year and then later in the year. Now, our senior year – me and Byron wrestled in Bedlam. We also wrestled in the All-Star match. And then we also wrestled first round at Big at Big Yeah, at Big Big Twelves. Mm -hmm. So we wrestled four times in one year. That's a lot. That's one a lot. Year. And every time we'd wrestle, I'd either be two or he'd be three or I'd be three or he'd be four. So we were always neck and neck. So, you know, the first time we wrestled him, I go up five zero. Um, he's a true freshman, and this is in Gallagher Ivan. And I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm gonna win this match, right? That dude came back and beat me in overtime, right? <laughs> oh, so you know, great, great dude. Um, you know, funny story with that. My mom and dad and brother. I say my mom and brothers. My dad liked Byron. My mom and dad. My mom and brothers really didn't care for him during that time we were competing, right? But once we got done. Like, Byron's a part of our family. That is a good dude. He lives in Tulsa. I stay in contact with him as much as I can. And uh, But we had some we had some battles. Well, it's interesting to hear that because you hear people talk about that. Like, And, and again, this is kind of the, the extended combat mm -hmm. world where you'll see guys that are right after a duel. You know, they're they're still friends. Like, they're competitors when right. they're on the mat. Like, there's no, there's no niceties while they're out there. Right. But then as you expand beyond that, like, when you go to war with somebody like that, 
Like in, in not an actual war overseas. Right. Don't at me, guys. Right. But like when you go to war with somebody, you find out what they're about. Yeah. And they find out what you're about. And that's just something a little bit different. The level of respect that you get because wrestling is one of those sports that pushes you to your limits just about every time you're doing it. When when the two competitors are equally matched, when they're evenly matched. In some of these super lopsided matches, you can tell people are kind of messing around. Like that's how I kind of felt like Bo Nickel was even in the national uh, finals last year. It's like the guy just didn't seem like he was trying real hard. Uh, he obviously was, but it was just kind of hard to see. There was such a huge gap between him right. and everybody else he was yeah. going against. But when people are really close, closely matched, you kind of get that close knit uh, environment there. But one thing that you mentioned that I do want to talk about a little bit because I went to my first one of these not that long ago mm-hmm. is Bedlam. Yeah. Because where you know everyone talks about Bedlam, they they think college football. But the reason why we call it Bedlam is because originally there was a guy that walked into an OU versus OSU duel and said, "Man, it's like Bedlam in here," because it was just crazy. Yeah. The level of energy and the level of excitement and I've just never experienced one and so uh, another friend of ours Sam Hayswinkle who's mm-hmm. uh, who's an Olympian and, and a great Greco uh, wrestler and, and a former yeah. and freestyle and former OU wrestler and coach um, he, he got his tickets me and a group of guys went there and we ended up sitting literally right next to the mat we were on the very front row kind of in the in the OU coaches section one of our guys was wearing an OSU shirt he had to put his jacket back on because they're like hey man uh, we know you're friends with Sam but you can't wear that shirt down here in this section but the the level of energy in there because this is one of those years where OSU is really good and OU is just not that great. It's it's just one of those years, but it really didn't matter. The level of energy for this entire duel was was absolutely insane. Just being a spectator, knowing that this has been happening for decades and decades, and yeah. this was just my first one. So, kind of take us through as an Oklahoma kid who was recruited by both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. What was it like being a part of Bedlam as often as you were? Well, you know, it's a, it's a special feeling, and what even makes it more special. Um, and even more as almost even a spectator now is there's a lot of Oklahoma kids wrestling, right? Um, you know, in, in my years, I'm sounding like I'm extremely old, but, you know, in my years, you know, we had out of our 10 guys that was starting lineup, seven or eight of those guys were from the state of Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, and it's almost like that even now with Oklahoma State. And OU's got some sprinkled in there as well. So, for some of the fans, there's a there's a not necessarily skin in the game, but you've seen this young man grow up, or you've seen him wrestle before, or you cheered for him, or you've cheered against him, whatever the case may be. And it's your it's your it's it's your it's your crosstown rival. You know they're 45 minutes to an hour away from Stillwater, and you want to beat them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you get fired up for that match and just like any any rivalry or in-state game duel whatever you throw records out of the window because anything can happen and when you got an elevated stage in Gallagher Ibe Arena with you know seven eight thousand some odd people there in all orange it's a beautiful sight to see you know and it makes it even more special that you get to beat somebody from OU right and hope you're not the one to get beat which it may happen that has happened to me Um, but there's a lot of energy behind it not much pep talk needs to go into it because you're ready um, and you're trying to you're winning you, you know what's win. at stake you know what's you know. at stake and uh, you know you want to go out there and dominate and put on a show for the fans and that's one thing that's a, that that's awesome about it because it wasn't OSU's last duel this year it was Iowa but every year that's kind of been you know it's seniors when you know my last year wrestling Byron was my that was my last home duel so before the duel what you guys saw, it was senior day. 
And it's a little bit different. Football, you got four quarters to kind of, you know, you got that whole 15 minute that you can have. Wrestling, you don't have that. No. You know, and you're trying to control your emotions. Then you got to go out here and compete against the number three dude in the nation. You're number two and your last hurrah. And you're so you got to learn how to control all that stuff at that point in time. And it's just a it's a great atmosphere, man. And, you know, and, um, you know, OU's coming. They showed a lot of energy and a lot of improvement in that duel. And that's what makes the state better. Right. That's what makes the state better. You want OU to be as good as they can be. You sure. want O state to be as good as they can be, because that's what makes the state better you know and we got some solid college programs around this around uh the state of oklahoma i mean really to have to have osu ou and uco university of central oklahoma all have this level of wrestler uh and the the level of talent that they continuously get because and we see this a lot and people would normally see this with college football you see a lot of flash in the pan teams you see a team that got like five or six really good recruits that all kind of come up at the same time they're in important positions and that team can really compete on a national level once but to do that year in and year out to be oklahoma state to be iowa to to be one of those programs it's something that's completely different and so for you you experienced pretty much everything you could experience as a collegiate wrestler you went everywhere you did everything you experienced some of the most unique experiences any wrestler could could want to have growing up in any community in the country and then it was over i mean yeah. you, you lose your last match as as most people do i mean you, most people don't get to win their last match but then you're stuck with the decision that a lot of wrestlers uh, especially in the 90s whenever you finish your wrestling career which is what's what's next at the time mma is not that big of a thing it's right. it's just kind of one of those little fringe things you, you certainly can't make a career doing mma right. in the late 90s one of those types of deals so kind of walk us through what that was like for you kind of the decision process like okay do i hang it up immediately do i try to go for the olympics kind of tell us what that was like yeah so once i uh once i finished with my last match and um you know we had our banquet everything wrapped up i kind of contemplated what's my next step so i was still in Stillwater, and i was uh going to decide what am i going to do now do i want to keep wrestling do i want to find a job i had my degree so on and so forth so i end up taking a job up here in oklahoma city uh with a company called orthologic and medical sales but I would also still work out with the guys. Um, you know, I was working part time so I could still grad assist a little bit, help out, go train, so on and so forth. Well, that eventually came to a point. It's like I got to start making some money. Um, I was traveling a lot by myself to some of our, you know, tournaments, you know, whether they were in Arizona or Colorado or different places like that by myself, cutting weight by myself. That just got old. Yep. You know, I was the only one doing it at that point in time. And that just got old and I was ready for something new. So. I uh, ended up moving to Oklahoma City and, you know, getting a medical gig and kind of been doing that and now in the pharmaceuticals. But it's uh, it's one of those things that I tell, you know, uh, one of my nephews just graduated from the University of West Virginia. And I'm telling you guys, somewhere down the line, your wrestling career will be over. And every wrestler does not get into coaching. Um, some of them, when they graduate, don't know what the heck they're going to do. Um, now, like you talked about before, MMA is on a bigger platform now than what it was. People are becoming very, very successful off of that. So what's your next step? You know, and now you got a lot more sponsors in wrestling. You got wrestlers actually making a great living wrestling, you know, um, 
some of the top-notch guys here in the U.S. are doing that. I mean, that's their job. They're training, right? You have the RTCs now that are all around uh, wrestling, and they bring people in to train. They bring these Olympic-level athletes in to train with the college guys in turn is making college wrestling so much better. There's so much parity in this sport now um, because of that. Also, there's so much parity in this sport now because of what these young men and women have been how they've been trained and who they've been trained by coming up now. Um, but it was a tough decision. Um, so I quote, unquote, unquote, officially retired at the tender age of 12, was 20, 24 years of age and stepped into the real world. And here I am. Well, the thing is that I, I like about how you describe that is, unfortunately, we've we've had a lot of examples of people that just can't quite let it go. So everyone's got the caricature. It's the guy that, that was a high school quarterback, and he's still walking around wearing his letter jacket today, right. talking about the state title game. And, you know, you have that guy. So that's kind of the caricature thing. Yeah. But then there's the real life thing, which is there's a lot of collegiate athletes in this country. Mm-hmm. And almost in just like those dopey NCAA commercials, very few of them go pro. Right. And in some of these sports, going pro isn't exactly conducive to the quality of life that they would want financially or, you know, from, you know, being able to have kind of more things they can do with their time. They don't have a lot of a lot of wiggle room. And so it's good that you kind of came to that realization at such an early age, because there's there's a lot of sacrifices that you have to make, especially in the sport, which actually leads me to a question for you. The big sacrifice in wrestling that a lot of people kind of forget about, it's weight control and specifically weight cutting. And so from your perspective, having basically been a wrestler your entire life, you cut weight your entire life, you you had weight control on your mind. I mean, by the time you retired, you had been concerned about your weight for essentially 20 years, right? Again, making sure you were within striking distance before the weekend, before the tournament, before whatever. Give us your overall thoughts on weight cutting in general, weight cutting as an adult, weight cutting as a child going up, just kind of go with it. You know, that's a great question, Kyle. So the way I phrase this, and I'm going back, I'll start kind of with the youth first because that's what I deal with now on a regular basis. And I let my parents know, let the kids wrestle what they weigh. You know, I'll I'll go prime example for me. You know, my son um, the past couple of years was weighing, you know, the weight was uh, 64 pounds. Um, He was weighing 62, 63, sometimes 63 and a half. You know what, man? You're going to wrestle 64. That's it. You know, um, you're going to wrestle 64 pounds. You're going to go out, scrap, and have fun, and we'll go from there. Once again, no one's coming to recruit these kids right now, and that's a, a thing with wrestling that we, as an as as wrestlers, and us as a as a club as well, we have to educate our parents on that because I still hear that now. Uh, I don't know about wrestling and the weight cutting. It's not even. I wouldn't even say weight cutting. I mean, it's all about diet clean eating we see it all now you got gluten-free stuff you got organic stuff now like it's changed so much i was blessed as far as high school wise because my mom was a nurse so she understand understood what to put in my body what not to put in my body um i remember one time i was at uh, this is sidebar here but i was at joc's and there was a uh gentleman that came up to me i went to go buy a coke after i wrestled right we didn't know no better. Sure, yeah. Buy Coke. He came up to me and he was like, he asked me where my dad was at. And I said, he's up in the stands. He said, go get him, please. Um, the guy actually was a long distance runner from Kenya at UCO. Okay, yeah. So I went and got my dad, brought him down. I said, this gentleman wants to talk to you. And he told my dad, he said, this is not good for your son. 
He should not be drinking this. He should drink water. Um, uh, you know, something like that. Not that's bold not for a guy that doesn't know but, you. But but right. but what he was telling me was this affects your shape. Right. This affects your wind. This affects your cardio. Right. Um, so that was a little sidebar. Things that we didn't know. And now going to college and high school, middle school, what they do now, they do weight certification. Okay. When I wrestled in college, we would weigh in a day before. We would weigh in a day before. So I'm wrestling 158 pounds, and I had my routine down. We'd weigh in. We would weigh in Thursday. We didn't wrestle till Friday night. Mm-hmm. We would go eat as a team wherever we were eating at, some Italian spot, get some carbs, sure, and different yeah. things like that. Later on that day, I'd go to Subway and get me a foot-long steak and cheese. That was my routine. Mm-hmm. Okay, Wake up the next morning. Either I, I, we had class, I'd go to class, get a workout in. We'd duel that night. Well, I weighed in 158 on Thursday. By Friday evening, I could be weighing 165, 66. It just depends, yeah. right? I didn't like trying to get above that. My senior year, there was three deaths. Guys trying to cut too much weight in a short amount of period of time. Not healthy, okay? NCAA came in and changed the rules. So 158 went to 165, all right? 150 went to 157. 118 went to 125, so on and so forth. There's different changes, right? So middle of my year, I go from 58 to 65. Now, there were some 67-pounders that came down to 65 because they were a small 167-pounder, but they couldn't make 58, but they could make 65, Mm -hmm. okay? So the year after that, they started body fat testing, hydrating testing. You can only lose a certain amount of weight per week, so on and so forth. So they have cleaned all that up. There's no, there's, you know, saunas can only be used for like recovery and different things, not cutting weight. You cannot use plastics anymore. So they've cleaned all that up from the middle school level, high school level, college level. Okay. And now even international level. So like I said before, we was weighing a day before. Now at duels, you weigh in the same day, an hour before you wrestle. Right. Tournaments, it's two hours before you wrestle. Right? And you have to be hydrated at that weight. Better for the sport. Safety for everybody involved. They've made changes, and it's for the betterment of the sport. In turn, stops everybody from trying to cut a crazy amount of weight in a short period of time. And I tell my parents all the time, let them wrestle with their weight. They're going to cut, they're going to, they're going to cut weight. They're going to lose weight. When they get a little bit older, that's when you kind of start dealing with that stuff. You know what I mean? Especially when you're talking about that three, four, five, six, seven pounds, depending on what the kid's body is like, how much is he shredded? Is he, you know, does he have mm-hmm. a little bit to lose? So on and so forth. Because we get kids that come in from football and they're chubby. Yeah, right? sure. And it's not they've been powerlifting and eating potatoes. And, and it's not know. a fact of them cutting weight. They lose weight because of what you're doing during wrestling. You're using every inch of your body. And it's a hot, sweaty, stinky, awesome room. Man, I lost two pounds a day. Yeah, sure. Right? That's you a light know, practice. That's a light yeah. practice, right? So the weight cutting aspect has gotten a lot better, a lot more safer. And I love the changes that they've made for every level. And we talk to our kids and parents about what to put in their body, what not to put in their body. Don't give them a lot of candy at tournaments. Don't go eat the Frito chili pies sure, yeah, when you're yeah. wrestling. Like, you know, get your water. Um 
put that and get some fruit, get some little snacks and stuff like that. Don't go eat a lot of that stuff at the concession stand, especially while they are in competition in wrestling. Yeah, well, I mean, you you talked most importantly about educating the parents because I look back on what my parents fed me growing mm-hmm. up, and so I didn't have great genetics. Uh, like I, I was overweight as a kid. Like you know, I just wasn't one of those kids that could eat anything and look fine. Like I so saw, I was overweight really until I got closer to high school. And so when you look back at how you fueled, like I didn't drink water as a kid. I drank Shasta. Right <laughs> when I went to my dad's house, yeah. we would go get a case of Shasta, and that's how we hydrated. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't know any better. I didn't right. know any better. That's just I'm thirsty, so I just got a soda pop right and so it's just one of those deals where now parents they don't have any excuses it's kind of like if you smoke cigarettes today you're pretty much an idiot it's like we've got decades of research that tells you you're going to die a horrible terribly painful death and you deserve it if you still do this thing right so it's kind of one of those things that if you're a parent today it kind of gives you a a chance to not only educate the kid but educate the parent as well and so i I appreciate your perspective on that and one one quick thing i wanted to uh, go back to a couple of things with oklahoma state but i i was curious because you mentioned uh, weight cutting there a couple times your perspective didn't to forget it but something really cool happened for you in 2016 mm-hmm. so it's something called the gallagher award so the gallagher award it's something that's presented annually and it's presented to an osu alumnus who as they say exemplifies the spirit and leadership imminent in the tradition of champions so that's that's fairly bloviated language to say this is an awesome person that didn't just win stuff while they were here but they kind of kept that going but i wanted to read you a quote because i'm not sure if you ever read it i'm, sh- I'm sure you might have but this is your your coach john smith like, like you said, the most decorated, most important probably wrestler in the history of the United States. He said this about you. He said, Hardell was a two-time All-American for us here at Oklahoma State, but what he did following his career here was much greater. Over the last 17 years, this was in 2016, so over the last 17 years, he has had one of the best clubs in the state of Oklahoma, if not the whole country. Although having a full-time job, he finds a way to help others. He has made a difference for a lot of young people to move on to college and receive a scholarship. He exemplifies the spirit and leadership of the coach Gallagher award. So what is it, you know, kind of give us an idea. How did you even know that you were going to be given the Gallagher award? What did it, uh, what did it mean to hear John Smith, the legendary John Smith mm-hmm. say something like that about you kind of take us through that whole process. Humbling. First off, um, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. So I was out, uh, working in 2016 and just, you know, doing my due diligence, doing my job. And I get in my car and I get a phone call and it, you know, obviously I got him in my phone and it pops up Coach Smith cell. So I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, coach, how you doing, man? He's like, Hardell, what's going on? I'm like, nothing, man. Just doing my job out here working, you know, uh, trying to make a buck. And he goes, well, I wanted to call and congratulate you on winning the Ed Gallagher Award. And I just kind of I was silent for a little while because I I've heard of the award, knew what the award was but had the slightest idea I was even up for that award. Didn't know not one bit. And I guess that's the that's the joy slash surprise of that, right? And it was extremely cool to me because they were dueling Stanford that Sunday that I received that award. And uh, my best friend Jamil Kelly uh, was coaching for Stanford at that point in time. So I got to take pictures with him and oh, see nice. him cool. and all that stuff and everything like that. But – Coach gave me the award, and you know I, I had a chance to uh, to read that of what he said to me, and you know you you just try to you try to do the best you can when you are away from your house, and a lot of that gets attested to how I was brought up, and I I say this quite a bit, I wasn't scared of Coach Smith, 
I wasn't scared of Coach Perry. Those were not the two individuals I was afraid of. I was afraid of Ernest and Margaret Moore. So I was afraid of disappointing them. So my coaches in college knew that they didn't have to worry about me. They understood I was going to do the right thing. They understood I was going to make the grades. And they also understood that I was going to compete as hard as I can and the best of my ability every time I laced up those shoes and represented that beautiful orange singlet with Oklahoma State University on it. And, you know, we talked about this earlier. Sometimes you really don't understand the impact you make. And I've been blessed to be able to coach our youth and invest in our youth for 21 years. Never thought I would do that, but that's what continues, I guess, if, if you want to say legacy, so on and so forth, but that's what is continuing to make impact and exactly what Coach Smith says, making impact. You know, and yes, I do have a full-time job. We run a nonprofit 501c3 where everybody volunteers. Nobody collects. It's volunteering to give back to the to the to the youth through this wonderful sport of wrestling. And to receive that award in front of my family and friends, and I had a lot of my formers in the stands and some that was wrestling on the team, O State's team that day. It was an honor. It was a blessing. And, you know, um, like I said, extremely humble for it. And just just keep doing what I'm doing. Just keep doing what I'm doing. Well, that's encouragement whenever you see someone. Because it's best whenever you get surprised by something like that. Yeah, whenever it's like, yeah. wait a minute, somebody thought enough of me to say, hey, let's throw Hardell's name in, in the hat for something like that. No. So that's got to be humbling because it, you have some of those people that win those awards. And when you go look at their LinkedIn people, just giving you a heads up, some of the people... They applied for those awards themselves, right? And they just went ahead and got them. So it, it is a different thing entirely. Yeah. And and you mentioned uh, getting into coaching right after, and we'll certainly spend some more time yeah. on coaching. Yeah. But before we get off of Oklahoma State, kind of the last question on your time with Oklahoma State, just by virtue of being there and by virtue of it being the legendary program that it is, you had some very noteworthy teammates. Yeah. And so kind of take us through some of some of the folks that, you know, even these listeners, if you're a wrestling fan or maybe, uh, maybe a rest, uh, fan of another combat sport, some of the people that you were specifically teammates with or even and others that you were connected to just by being at Oklahoma State when you were? Well, just wrestling-wise, and also there's some MMA buddies in there as well, but just wrestling-wise, you know, uh, I'll, I'll just kind of run down the list. You know, Mark Branch um, goes into NCAAs as a freshman with a losing record and becomes a national champion. And not only did he become a national champion, he became a four-time All-American, two-time national champion, and a four-time finalist. Um, it's not terrible. You know, not it's, terrible. it's not that bad. Not terrible. Wasn't highly <laughs> recruited. Um, Alan Freed, which is one of the most – freakish slash athletic dudes I've ever seen out of Ohio. Um, guy had a gas tank, would never get tired. Dude was just awesome. Um, he was another one. J.J. McGrew from Cleveland, Oklahoma was another one. You know, starting it off, even with Pat Smith, right, becoming the first four-time national champ that has – it's never happened, right? He was the first one to do yeah. it. Yeah. You know, now you got you know got, got a few other guys that have doing it, but he was the first one to get that done. Um, so those are four guys wrestling wise um, that come off the top of my that are right there off the top of my head. You know, Jamil Kelly's another one. We talked about him earlier. Um, never won a high school state championship. Never was an All American, uh, but became an Olympic silver medalist. And to get to make the world team, like he had to beat national national champs. He was the only one in the bracket that wasn't a national champ or All American, and he makes that run. Um, Mark Munoz, right? One of the nicest, kindest individuals I know. 
hands down. And when they said in MMA, he's probably the nicest guy in MMA, that is the truth. I remember people saying that. Sorry to interrupt you. I remember people saying that and thinking to myself, wait, wait, wait are you talking about the guy that literally Donkey Kong's people into unconsciousness? He's yes. like the nicest guy. So, so like for him, he seemed to have a switch that he, he could flip whenever it became he com- had competition a switch time. And he never, he never got into a fight until his first MMA fight. Wow. Like Munoz was, like I said, the dude was a freak athlete. He was a semi-pro volleyball player. I didn't find that out till he got to college, right? We, yeah, we I didn't know that. Andrew Mules. He was a semi-pro volleyball player. Of course he was. Yeah, sure. Figure that <laughs> yeah. part out, right? Didn't start wrestling until he was a freshman. Was a, what, two-time California state champ, which is crazy because in California, it's everybody in the state of California that wrestled. It's not split up in a class. It's everybody. Um, just athletic. He was one of the ones I took under my wing and tried to and, – and, and, taught him how to like cut weight because in high school he never had to do that part but you know becomes a national champion and then has a successful mma career right uh me and jamil went out for his first fight when he fought for wec yeah Um, they fought out in sacramento because he used to train out of uh, uriah faber's gym um there as well um so he's one connection um also Mola Wall, right? That used yeah, to wrestle King Mo. Uh, up here at King Mo, wrestle at UCO. I used to go and train with him back when I was younger. Um, no longer do that anymore. Um, he's another one. Um, you know, the most the most famous one, as we could say, is Daniel. Daniel Cormier, right? Um, I wasn't actually on Daniel's team, but was still very tight-knitted with Oklahoma State, which I still am to this day. Um, know Daniel extremely well, and he's the same Daniel as he was then as he is now same dude hadn't changed one bit i could call daniel today chit chat with him and it's like we just talked two hours ago and that once again is that osu family and their coaches tree of wrestlers is phenomenal like he's got i'm i'm guessing just anywhere from seven to ten coaches in college that have all wrestled under john and then you have the assistant coaches. And then you still have some coaches that do youth stuff. You know, Nick Perler's another one that does youth. Nick and Tony Perler, me. Like, that's where he, he did an interview a couple of, couple of uh, weeks ago and was talking about his legacy. And he was discussing about his legacy being what he can do with the sport and how he can still advance the sport and how many other people that wrestled underneath him that are coaching that legacy will go on forever. Sure, yeah. Right? Because there's going to be other coaches that wrestled for Coach Smith that are coaching now will have kids that wrestle for them that will coach late. You know what I mean? Like, it just continues to go on. And, you know, he's been there for almost – he's been there 30-some-odd, 30 years, I think, right? Something like that up there. So, you know, those are a couple of names. Some people know who they are. Some know who they don't. I'm probably leaving out a few. But, you know, all of those guys around that time, man, you know, we do a – we, we did a reunion a couple years back, and it was just good to see a lot of those people that that I haven't seen in a while. And, I mean, it is. It is it is a family, man. It's a family. It's just awesome. Well, and they have a lot of pride because you even see, because, again, Daniel Cormier is going to be the name that most people recognize. Right. But anytime that guy can wear orange and black, he's wearing it. Like, oh, yeah. he, he's clearly doing that, and, like, he's just so proud. Well, he's extremely proud, you know. And, and another one I'm just kind of thinking of Daniel fighting out of AKA is Kyle Crutchmer, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he's up at AKA. He's another Okie State okie state cowboy you know and and you know daniel's kind of taking him under his wing up there at aka and you know kyle's doing well he's what six and oh seven and oh right now so doing his thing so you know it's 
and it, it, it's awesome to see when they do the countdowns or do the embeddeds or or whatever, and you see these guys in that O State gear, and they give O State a lot of credit. You know, the, they give O State a lot of credit, which is which is awesome to see. It's good to see. Well, and the cool thing about watching Daniel's career, and we won't spend a, a ton of time on on him. Uh, we'll let him speak for himself someday when he comes <laughs> on this podcast. There but you go. the the cool thing about Daniel is he's had one of the more interesting trajectories because obviously, you know, this guy, you know there was a lot made about, oh, he just can't win the big one. You know, he could just, he couldn't win the big one in college. He couldn't win the big one when it got to, you know, the Olympic level, you know, he had that little weight cutting snafu there. There was just all this, always this thing. And then he gets to MMA and there's this, you know, little, uh, little known guy named John Jones that just so happens to be in his division after he cut, he got down from heavyweight mm-hmm. uh, to light heavyweight. But the interesting thing about Daniel Cormier is Daniel Cormier has made one of the renaissances and one of the uh, risings in this, uh, in the sport of MMA that has been more impressive than just about anybody because at the time that he was going toe-to-toe with John Jones, everyone liked John Jones, no one liked Daniel. It was just one of those things because John Jones was the perfect superstar. Not only was he vicious and incredible in the octagon, he was a nice guy seemingly on the outside. And Daniel was just kind of this guy, you know, he was just kind of like the thorn stuck in John Jones's paw. And then it's like after their second fight, it, it flipped. It's like it flipped on its head and, you know, John Jones failed a drug test and then everybody started not only feeling bad for Daniel Cormier, but then they started to respect him a little bit more. They started realizing, wait a minute, this guy's in, he's undefeated at heavyweight. He's destroyed everybody at the light heavyweight level except for John Jones. And he seems to be a a genuinely nice guy. So the thing that's interesting is as an MMA fan, I was one of the guys that took that roller coaster. I was like, oh, screw Daniel. You know, it's all about John Jones. And then you kind of flip and now you're at this point in his career where you you want to see the trilogy fight with yeah. Steve Abel. I want to know from you, being a guy that's a personal friend of his, mm-hmm. someone that Daniel has had out at UFC fights to, to come as out as his guest and those types of things. What's it been like for you watching the trajectory of this guy that's a friend of yours that's been going on basically in the public light for this long? Yeah, I mean, it's it's been pretty cool, you know. Um, and like I said before, I'm like, he's the same dude. He's the exact same dude. Like whether it's text messaging through a thread or whatever, he's still... He's still that dude, Daniel. And and I think another cool thing about, you know, uh, our crew that, you know, hang out or text or call, we treat him the same way. Like he's, he's Daniel to us, you know. He's, uh, he's a very family-oriented dude. Um, he's done a lot for his family. Um, he's done a lot. He's done a lot for his Gilroy High School too, right? Yeah, like not sure. Only does, not only is Daniel a full-time fighter and doing that, the dude is – Got these guys at Gilroy going to crazy levels right now, and he's not getting paid for it, which is awesome, right? right. He's paying his assistants, you know, Crutchmer, Deron Wynn, uh, Sean Bunch. Like, that's a heck of a staff, right? That's a heck of a staff. But Daniel is the same dude. He's a genuine dude. He is a competitor. And what I like about it is the way Daniel fights with that pressure going forward is the same way that dude wrestled. Mm. That dude would put on a show. And if you locked up top with that dude, you'd be dumped on your head. <laughs> and, you know, he's doing a, he's doing a great job with the uh, commentary. Sure, yeah. Uh, and many other things that he – what was that, T-Mobile or Sprint that he had the commercial with back in the day? Like, he's just a fun, loving guy. And anybody that can make the video uh, all about that cake, right, mm-hmm. make fun – I mean, that's Daniel. That is Daniel. He loves to have people around, a close, tight-knit group, his family. And, I mean, once you're in there, you're in there, man. But like I said, I also give him his space, right? I'm not 
trying to ask for a lot of stuff or anything like that. I'm just glad I know the dude and we chit chat from time to time and I wish him nothing but the best, you know, with this trilogy fight against Stipe. And then after that, man, the dude's the dude is a success already and he's going to do nothing but continue to grow his legacy, right? And he's he's just doing phenomenal things, man. It's 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 awesome to see. And like I said, he credits a lot to to John W, man. That's I mean, that's 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 the dude that kind of taught us all right? when he's going to be one of those generational success stories he just yeah. feels like one of those guys that if you're going to pick a horse uh, that he would be the one to be like not only is this guy going to be going to go down as a top 10 if not top five greatest fighter ever um this is going to be a guy that's going to go on and have that successful career behind the microphone he's almost like michael strahan it's like michael yeah. strahan was a really really good nfl defensive end and then he's more famous now more being famous a television personality yeah. and yeah. he's just because he's so smart so personable yeah. so it's awesome to really see that yeah. Yeah, but it, it would be uh, I would be uh, doing a disservice to our fans here in an Olympic year if we didn't talk a little bit of Olympic wrestling. Yeah, so yeah. there there is some really interesting things happening, and I'm not talking about coronavirus. I don't assume that Tokyo is <laughs> going to pull the plug on the Olympics because of of uh, a little bit of virus of a little virus. And hopefully this is a one of those quotes that doesn't go uh, come back to haunt me later on in life. But I don't think that we're going to have that problem. But there's some really interesting things going on with uh, USA wrestling, especially on the freestyle side, and it's mainly because of the lack of weights. The lack of weight divisions has caused some fairly significant, uh, some jumbling up of talent. So before we get into two specific weights, because I definitely want to talk about 74 kilos and 97 kilos, what what is your opinion on on wrestling in terms of on the Olympic level? There was there was a little bit of drama about wrestling being dropped at some point, even though it's one of, if not the oldest sport on the planet Earth. Yes, but is, then is. what is just kind of your opinion as a fan of wrestling, seeing so few weights competed, thus you know stamping out some of the best talent in the world at those weights? You know that's the uh, that's the tough part, man. Because in all due respect, Team USA is phenomenal. And I mean that from top to bottom. I mean, from our Greco team, freestyle team, men and women, right? Um, You know, you got to think about it. In some of these weights, there's going to be some world champs left at the house. And I'm not competing in it, so it'll be a tougher pill for them to swallow than I. Sure, yeah. But as a fan, it it – Probably for some people, it makes it a little bit more. It, I mean, it's a lot more interesting because there's only six weights. But man, I wish there could be ten. I really, really do. You know, back in the day, there was. You know, and then at the World Championships, there there are ten weights and stuff like that, and it allows more people to wrestle, whether it's on the men's side or the women's side, right? Either or. Um, so it's, and I think you know, with 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 the Olympic year, I, it's almost like I want to say, man, you're you're cheating some people, but I also I know it only comes every four years. Yeah. And it's um, it's in good hands. We got every weight is deep. Every weight is deep. Hands down. It's just going to matter who's going to show up that day and be the top dog. Yeah, and the who's trials. Who's going to wrestle the best or who's going to turn it on or who's going to be stingy with their defense, who's going to be um, extremely technical, who's going to have more grit, who's going to have more dog. These guys and girls, they already know all of that. And, you know, these are high, high high-level wrestlers. And sometimes when you watch a high-level match, it may not be as high-scoring or some people, just like an MMA fight. Yeah. Right? Just like an MMA fight. But there's still so much technique that goes into that 
that your normal, whether it's wrestling fan or MMA fan, be like, oh, why don't you just knock him out? Man, it ain't that easy. No. You know, or you Especially when they're so evenly matched. Yeah, we talked about that. Or some people say, why don't you just shoot or push him out? Of-? It's not that easy. So you look at these weights at 74 kilos. I mean, you got Jordan Burroughs, which is you know trying to become the most decorated American wrestler as well. Like that dude has been on a tear since he graduated from Nebraska. You know, you got Kyle Dake dropping down to his his weight. So you got Burroughs as a as a multi-time world champ, five-time world champ, and you got Kyle Dake as a re- returning two-time world champ. Mm-hmm. They're going to be competing. And don't forget about, you know, your other guys in there, the Martinez is and 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 Tommy Gant. I mean, there's a whole laundry list. Then you go from 74 up to 86 kilos, you know, David Taylor is in that mix. You got Alex Derringer in that mix. You got Pout Downey in that mix. And I know there's some other ones that I'm that I'm missing there. Then you go to 97 kilos. 97 just doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. so for those of you guys who are not following this, you'll know these names. Bo Nickel, he's a three-time defending national champion out of Penn State. You got Jaden Cox, who's a two-time defending world champion. And used a, to and wrestle. And a medalist. Yeah, and a bronze medalist before that out of Mizzou. And then you've got Kyle Snyder, the defending Olympic champion. Two of those guys are not going to Tokyo. Like that, that is the craziest thing because th- that's three different guys that that could be three separate gold medals for three the United gold States. Medals. You think about it also college, just while you're talking about that, you know, all those dudes were three-time national champions. All of them right. three-time national champions. Yep. You got two, you got an Olympic gold medalist with Kyle Snyder. You got an Olympic bronze with Jaden. You got a, a, a U23 world championship with Bo Nickel. So these dudes are high level. These dudes are extremely high level. So, um, you know, and there's going to be some other guys in that way, Colin Moore, but those are probably your top. They're your top three. Um, Jaden and Kyle are your top two. Sure. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting, man. You know, and you think about it, like I said, that's that's the tough part that there's going to be some hammers left at the house. That's the rules. It is what it is. Those guys and girl gals know. They have to control the controllables. They have to control what they control. And that is going out and wrestling to their best of their ability. That day, those five matches or however many matches they got to wrestle to go to the Olympic Games. Well, I've got to get some predictions for you, for from you on this. So who do you think is going to represent the United States at 74 kilos? Is it going to be Jordan Burroughs or Kyle Dake? Man, that's a tough one. Um, I'm, I'm going to go JB, man. I'm going JB. Like the dudes, the dudes a vet, and that's that's where I'm gonna go at. I'm a, I'm going JB on that one. Okay. Then we go to 97. I'm assuming uh, Bo Nickel will be on the outside looking in. He's he's a little bit small for for 97 kilos. But for between, or I guess I won't give you any options out of all the guys that are there at 97 kilos. We've mentioned Nickel, Cox, and Snyder. Who do you think is going to represent the U.S.? Jaden. Okay. Why? Just because. That dude is a not only is he's a, he's an extremely smart wrestler, he's extremely technical, and he moves so fluently, you know. And I think he's just going to out slick Kyle in certain positions, right? Both of these guys have way surpassed my wrestling ability, but just kind of as a fan and having a little fun with it and seeing who's going to win, I, I, I would say I would say Jaden. I would say Jaden. Um, you know. Uh, you can't, you can't go wrong with any of them, but you're asking me on the point. I'll say Jaden Cox. Okay. So let's go ahead and fast forward to Tokyo, and I'll, I'll get your gold medal predictions here in a second. Are there any wrestlers that 
you know, wrestling fans or just Americans that that want to watch Americans do well on the world stage. Are there any wrestlers that you think will have an a surprising performance? Uh, any any U.S. wrestlers that you think will make the team that will make it out there? That hey, we need to remember that name because you may not know it now, but you need to be paying attention. Yanni comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. He's the one for me. But who are some people that you think are going to perform exceedingly well that maybe we don't know their name quite yet? Now you mean at the trials? No, I mean at let's the, go ahead and go to like Tokyo. We're so going to Tokyo. yeah, we're we're gonna go ahead because I so mean you already put Yanni already yeah, there, huh? I, that's okay. Ooh, I, I that's am another deep weight. I know that's it's a super deep, deep weight, weight, but that dude is a he's a monster and he's got something different. He's got a different level of dog in him. I told you who mine was. You didn't have to agree with me, sorry, all right? You don't have to put me completely bad, on blast. Okay. But yes, we are fast forwarding to Tokyo a little bit, and so we're we're going over the trials. So we're gonna make we're gonna make quite a few assumptions because the trials aren't until. Uh, early April, April right? Mm-hmm. So it's like the second through the fifth of April. But who do you think is going to perform on the on the world stage? Man, that's a tough one to ask, just because I don't know who's going to be there. I know. Why do you think I asked? I didn't want to just give you a bunch of easy questions. I mean, I don't know, man. That one's uh, that's a tough one. You know, uh, you said Yanni. I don't know if Yanni's going to come out of that bracket. That's my that's my prediction. I don't okay, know. that bracket is crazy deep. I really think you know, in all due respect. I'll just I, I I'll say uh, I'm gonna say Jaden just because I I picked him already, um, you know him and my man from Russia um, Sadulayev I think is how you pronounce his name um, I could be wrong on that but you know they've been talking about the quote unquote matchup who would win if it happened right you know, now all this is hearsay if it does happen that'd be a crazy match and I I would put I I I'd bet Jaden on that just because how Jaden Cox wrestles. The dude has crazy defense. He's crazy athletic. He's crazy smart. He understands where he's at on the mat, when to take a shot, when not. I mean, you think about it. The guy didn't give up any points last year at Worlds. You know, and the dude is just – he's a hes a competitor, man. He's, he's – and I think, you know, when he went to Colorado Springs up there with Kevin Jackson has helped him out tremendously. Now he's training at um, the Ohio State RTC where Kyle Snyder used to train. And, you know – He's ready. They're all ready, but like I said, that's Jane Jane Jane's gonna make some folks ooh and ah. Just on just on his his movement and how the guy how the guy gets it. I mean, these guys are they're laser focused right now. Right. Like I remember when Jamil and Daniel and uh, even Eric Guerrero uh, were going through this process, Tigmore, all these guys, they're just they're selfish. And they need to be selfish because at this point in time, it's selfish. You need to be selfish. You don't need to worry about anybody else except yourself. And that's what these that's what these young men and women are doing, right? Well, Jaden Cox, he's got an incredibly he's got highlight reel style. I mean, if you've watched this guy even back in Missouri, I just remember when I didn't even know his name and I was watching the finals, I was like, Whoa. Like he just everything he does is beastly. Like every single thing that he does, like he and he doesn't seem to have boring matches even when he's dominating people. And so if if you thought I put you on the spot a little bit ago, I'm gonna put you on the spot again. I want you to tell me, freestyle, which American men are coming back with gold medals? Which American men are coming back with gold medals? Let's say, I've already said Jaden. Mm-hmm. If it comes down to a match with JB and my man from Russia, JB's going to get him this time. Okay. Like I said, all this all this depends on draws. Everybody's got to remember in, sure, the Olympic, sure. in the Olympic trials, it's a blind draw. You could have 
two world champs. Yeah, Sajalayev and, and Cox yeah, could be in the first be, round. They could, they could, they could wrestle first round. You could have two world champs, two former Olympic gold medals wrestle first round. So who knows? Um, you know, there's so many other weights out there. You know, if 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 Jo qualifies, he's got a potential. You know, uh, as well. Um, Twenty five is so deep. I don't know. I don't know. It's fun watching you squirm. I just got to be honest. It's It's fun watching you squirm. Well, it's hard because you just don't. I mean, all these matches. That's the thing. All these matches that we're talking about right now, they're going to be one two point matches, if not two two matches, and somebody wins on criteria. Yeah. You know, you 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 train your whole life for the for this opportunity, and it's six minutes. And sometimes the ball is going to bounce your way, and sometimes it's not going to bounce your way. And sometimes the better wrestler will not win that match. So that's what makes it so hard to try to predict that part. And, you know, um, I got a lot of O-State boys out there scrapping, so you know I'm biased in that sense. <laughs> well, I mean, guys, just make sure if you've got any way. I think it's going to be showed on, on Flow Wrestling, uh, but make sure you can watch the U.S. Trials yeah, there at the beginning awesome. of April. And then you got the uh, the summer games uh, this summer. But we're going to put a bow on that, and we're going to move on to your coaching career. So yeah. you, you've made a lot of references to your coaching career. So after you got done, um, you even admittedly kind of accidentally got into coaching a little bit of the youth wrestling. But you've, you've done uh, the Edmund General, so Edmund Oklahoma. Oklahoma, which is where we're recording this, is which is where we both live right now. The Edmund Generals is a, a nationally known, uh, they were nationally known private uh, wrestling team and um, yeah, wrestling club. And, and then you have Oklahoma Wrestling Academy. So that's OWA and that's that's known nationwide as well. An incredibly impressive and competitive club that you have. So kind of give us an idea of, of how you got into club wrestling. You know, how do you go from being an Oklahoma? Because there's a lot of guys that used to wrestle that are all Americans that don't coach don't coach anybody. They don't even right. coach their kids. So how do you go from doing that to 20 plus years of doing youth uh, wrestling coaching? Well, when I when I got out of college and moved up to Oklahoma City, um, at that point in the time, there was a program Edmund General's already going. I think it was only a couple years in existence. And um, at that point in time, there was four other guys, and I was the only guy not married. So I took the you head, got the short straw. I got the short straw, <laughs> yeah. and I took the head coaching role there. Um, and the <laughs> within the first couple of months, I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and the reason why I was just graduate, I just graduated from college, so my mentality was a lot different. I'm teaching four and five year old kids that have never wrestled a day in their life, square stance, stagger stance, motion, and they weren't getting it at that point in time. I'm still a kid myself, so needless to say, my coaching skills were not very good when I first started. Well, I came back after Christmas. I stuck with it. And everything that we've been working on throughout the year, they finally start catching on to it, you know, middle part of the year and definitely by the end of the year for regionals and state. Um, so that was my first year under my belt. And we, we ran Edmund Generals out of, uh, out of the UCO wrestling room and also out of the Edmund North High School wrestling room for those 14 years. So that was my first encounter. And I, I sucked my first couple of years as a coach, and especially with the youth because it's, it's so different. And not only with that, and especially with wrestling, is so different in its own entity. Like, it's not football, it's not soccer, it's not basketball, as we all know. It's, it's combat, and it's totally different. And not only am I educating the kids, I'm educating some of the parents that have never seen it. 
right? And understanding that your son will have a nosebleed. He will get his face shoved in the mat. He will bend in a way that he's not supposed to. He will, he's going to cry, right? Let him cry. Let him toughen up. They'll be all right. They'll yeah. live, right? So it was a lot of that. And that still goes on to this day. So we did, I did that for 14 years and then been enjoying it every since. So these last few years, which is coming up, will be, like I said, my 21st year, um, a couple of guys came to me and we started the they were talking about doing a year-round wrestling program in the state of Oklahoma. And my, 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 I myself was a little bit suspect because there's, it's, there's never been one and, and so on and so forth. So anyway, we started OWA, and it was kind of a toss-up before because we still had the brand Edmund Generals, but we were starting to incorporate OWA into the mix too and kind of spread the word and network and tell people what OWA was. Well, that first year when we moved into, it was a Dollar General. We moved into a Dollar General, had two 42 by 42 mats, and that was our spot. But I still had the Edmund General brand because I was selfish and didn't want to let that go yet. Had parents kind of getting confused a little bit, what is what. So we eventually kind of basically just said, okay, no more Edmund Generals. It's all OWA. And OWA is a nonprofit 501c3. Um, like I said before, everybody that is involved with OWA as a volunteer. And I just happen to be the head coach of it. But man, there's so much work behind the scenes that goes on that I, I'd be a fool to sit here and try to take all that credit. One of my hashtags is it takes a village. And I got a lot of volunteer parents. I got a lot of volunteer coaches that put in time. We have a management board. We got a 15 uh, person board. Like it's, it's work, right? But there's a big cause why we do it, and it's for these kids. So we've been running OWA for the last seven years. We were in that Dollar General for five. We've moved to a new location in Oklahoma City for the past two years, coming up on three. And it's just continuing to grow. And the big thing is, you know, we're, yeah, we want, we want uh, you know, state champs, high school, all this good stuff, everything. But what are you going to do when you're done? What type of person are you going to be when you've finished wrestling? Yeah. That's the key. Um and we're not only teaching, like I say, you know, we're not teaching for two years down the line or three years down the line. We're teaching for 10, 15, 20 years down the line when they become an adult and have to provide for their own family. And when wrestling's done, what education are you going to fall back on? Right. Like I said, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So that's kind of I hope that explained it well enough of kind of what Edmund General was, what OWA is, what OWA is about. You know, we got four core values that we talk about. It's positivity, integrity. Humility, which you've heard me talk about before, yep. and hard work. Those are our core values. And, you know, we're going to have our awards banquet actually this Wednesday, and we have kids that will receive those core value awards because they're extremely important to us. And those core values also transfer to the parents. We want them to follow those core values just as much as our kids do. Well, that's that's really the next point that I wanted to get into is – if you've coached for a year or two, you can't really see trends, but you've quote coached for multiple decades at this point. Mm-hmm. And so you've been able to see some adjustments. You've yeah. been able to coach kids from, from multiple different generations. So right. you had millennials and now you're getting into Gen Z and whatever the next crop of kids is going to be called. And so I want to kind of get a sense from you as to how have you seen parents change mm-hmm. over the last 20 years? How have you seen the kids change over the last 20 years? Because again, this is a different sport. This is not golf. Like th- right. this is very different. Different, but certain yeah. things don't change. But what, if any changes, have you seen to parents and kids over these last twenty years of being a coach? 
Well, you know, sometimes, especially in youth, sometimes the biggest problem in youth, and any youth coach can attest to this, is the parents. Sure. And all due respect, right? That's that's sometimes the biggest problems. That's why we talk about those corporate. We actually even have a parent contract where we're at, right? Because we want our parents to know, even if you're at a tournament by yourself coaching your kid, and you have on you have on an OWA brand, an OWA shirt, an OWA singlet, or people know your kid wrestles for an OWA. Carry yourself the right way, and it's wrestling's a different beast for a mom and or dad because, like I said, it's mano a mano. There's nobody else out there. So don't let your emotions get involved in that match. It's a wrestling match, and it's Little League. It's not the national championship. They're not giving away scholarships. If they win, great. If they lose, great. Go love on them and tell them, great job, right? I tell my parents I'm not concerned with wins and losses. Don't give two nannies about wins and losses right now. And I mentioned this earlier. Attitude and effort are the two things that our kids can control. They can control how they act after they win or lose, more importantly, after they lose. And they can control their effort, leave it all out there on the mat. That's it. All that other stuff will take care of itself later down the line. So you see parents some nowadays kind of over overreact a little bit more mm-hmm. than kind of back in the day. Um, you see some kids not as tough anymore as in back in the day. Um, and you've seen these different things like parents, let your kids be coached. Let them be coached. Okay. I coached my son in wrestling. He started, a, he started flag football. I helped out there, but I like watching him just go compete. But also I've learned how to coach my son because I've seen other parents make those mistakes. I don't live through my son. I want him to create his own little path, whatever path that may be wrestling for. I don't know, whatever it may be. I want him to know I love him, and you go try your hardest, and let's see what happens. Well, the good thing about your perspective on that is obviously it's it's well-worn because you've had to deal with that for a long time, but um, you didn't know this was happening, but I was at a, a tournament a couple of months ago here in Oklahoma City, big tournament uh, down at the fairgrounds, and uh, I was informed about a little bit of a drama uh, a bit about this match where there was this kid whose dad had pulled him out of OWA because they, they had some problems with some of the parents, they had some problems with you or whatever, and there was a lot of people kind of gathering around this mat to watch these two kids that were like nine years old or something like that get after it and the thing that i noticed is your wrestler the ow wrestler who won by the way your wrestler was listening to you and when you would give out some sort of a a, a coaching tip or something like that he would he would implement that immediately Mm -hmm. but the other thing that i noticed is the dad of of the other wrestler right so not the owa wrestler he was screaming over the coach and you could tell kind of by looking at the guy, that's a little bit presumptive, but then you could also tell by the things he was saying out loud. Mm-hmm. This guy didn't know jack about wrestling. Mm-hmm. He just didn't. He knew how to yell and he knew how to get things done. He probably does well in business, probably has an, an okay work life, whatever the situation was. And it was just such an interesting dichotomy because regardless of who won that match, mm-hmm. you got to see a parent 
that was getting on a kid that didn't know what he was actually getting on the kid for. And the coach was, you know, he kind of got a little bit beta there for a little bit, letting this dad yell over him. And I remember, you know, talking with some of the people that were watching, we, we thought this dad was going to get physical with his kid after he lost, mm-hmm. right? Because his kid didn't do what he was supposed to and didn't do all these different things. And so there was, I've talked about this on the podcast before, there was a small group of people kind of following this dad around for the next five, 10 minutes to make sure he didn't get, get in his kid, you know, you know, get in his face like at this at this tournament or whatever. But, but for you, when you have a situation like that come up, number one, how do you keep your cool? Because that's one of those situations where this, this is kind of almost bigger than the two kids that are out there on the mat at that point, because you're almost concerned for that kid and what the home life looks like. But also even on your team, when you have parents that are getting out over their skis, that are not national, you know, national finalists. They're they're not people that have wrestled in any way, shape, or form. They're just dutiful parents, and they want their kids to do well. How do you regulate that? Because because in the world we live in right now, the parents are on the side of the kid, right? Yeah. So if they get in trouble at school, it's got to be the teacher's fault, right? If they get in trouble at football practice, it's got to be the guy at the whistle's fault, right? How do you deal with that in this modern era where the kids and the parents are seemingly the victims? So you know that's a that's a great question and you know I've I've done this before and I've talked to some of the younger coaches now that are doing the youth and I've seen this and you know what I've done I've got up and I've walked out of the chair and you know and when that parent comes and asks me I will kindly tell them why I did what I did right I'm not I'm not trying to blow my chest up or puff my chest out or anything but it's one of those things to where that parent has to understand and learn, right? Because sometimes you, you have, they have, it's like we tell our kids. Sometimes you have to learn what this process is, but you have to go through it first. I can talk to you about it all day. Sure. But until you go through it and realize what I'm talking about, and that's, I've had that situation, right? Where I'm sitting there coaching a kid. And in all due respect, I don't mind if, the, the dad is down there, or mom for that matter, right? I don't mind that. This is your child. You have made this 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 baby. This is yours. I understand that part. But while this match is going on and I'm coaching or any of my other coaches with a lot of knowledge, let them coach. You be the parent there. Let them coach because especially if you never strapped on a pair of wrestling shoes, you don't know what it's like. And those sometimes are usually your worst ones. And those are the ones that you have to teach and hold their hand a little bit more i've been in it long enough i i don't overreact because once again our core values i'm the leader of the group right mm-hmm. i want to live i want to do a certain standard okay but i've got up and walked away and when they come and ask me i've told them exactly why i got up and walked away and then i said hey if you want to sit down here with me i don't mind you sitting down here with me my brother i told my brother the same thing yell what i yell just yell with me okay my brother my oldest brother never wrestled so when my nephew was wrestling, he put his earphones in, and then he would just kind of be quiet, and he'd move in the chair, right? But I've had that. I don't need, I'm not trying to get physical with you. I don't need to raise my voice with you because I don't do it that much with my kid. I'm not, that's not my MO. I'm at a Little League wrestling tournament trying to invest in this young man and or woman. So to have that process and to have that happen, you get up, you walk away. Get up, walk away. And you want your kid to win, and if he wins, great. And if something goes wrong, you know, hey man, you were you were you wouldn't let me do what I was what I'm trying to do here. Okay? I'm gonna put him in the right situation. Yell with me. Encourage him. 
right? Encourage him. If you don't know exactly what you want to say, just encourage him. Let me do the coaching. You encourage, right? Um, you get some. We have, like I said, we've been, in all due respect, we have been blessed. We have been blessed. And I think it's because us as coaches, we set that standard up front. And now it's become known that we know what we're talking about a little bit, right? But also there's a certain code that you live by and code that you do at these tournaments. No need to get all up in arms, man. No need to get all up in arms and act a fool when your child, after the match is over with, shakes hand and walks off and acts more than adult than you do. Because kids, they let it go like that. Some of these adults that have never wrestled a day in their life, whether they're kicking a trash can, I've seen guys throw their cell phone, and you just had a little old weekend tournament. Yep. Right? You had a little weekend, weekend tournament. You know, they got to grow up. And I've, I, I've, like I said, I've had that done. I have not had that happen in probably, in all honesty, 10 years. Because, and, and, and if I have a parent that is like that and it's like, Hardell, I just think I make him nervous. Like, no, man, step, sit back then. Or we have some parents be like, if we have a coach there and a dad there, we'll be like, you want to go? Do you want to go? No, man, y'all go. Okay, we'll go get him. Right? And I'll ask him. And I think that also helps the process out. But they understand, they understand there's guidelines in that corner, if I guess if that makes sense. Because if I didn't know anything about wrestling and I got somebody and all these other coaches that know a lot, because we got a lot of knowledge in our room that know some stuff, I want them to coach them. I want them to lead them in the right direction. You know, that's where I think I've learned how to balance that. Don't get me wrong, Maddox is still is eight years old. But I also, I don't put any pressure on my son. I don't want my son to feel pressure. I don't want him to think he has to live up to, man, go go compete, son. Go wrestle. I don't talk to him much before he wrestles, right? You know, it's I've learned that, though. I've learned that just from over the period of time of, you know, before I was a father, right? And seeing, man, he's kind of pushing him too hard. And I've told some parents, like, he's up a little bit, man. Like, you're going to. He'll be all right. Mm-hmm. He wrestles hard. He does what he's supposed to do. He listens. He's doing good in school, right? Find a positive out of that. But, yeah, to answer that, kind of like what I did before, you just sometimes you just got to get up and walk away. You handle it, Dad. You know, you handle it. I'll talk to you after the match is over. Yeah, sure. You, you know? give me your read of what happened yeah. during this match with yeah. all your levels yeah. of understanding. Yeah, because sometimes when kids see that and, and, you know, they think, Dad is mad at me. That's what they think. Mm-hmm. But dad's thinking, I'm just trying to help you, but it's coming off the wrong way. Right. Right? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a balance that you got to have. It is a balance that you got to have, and it's kind, of a, it's, it's kind of a gift, you know? Well, and I've talked about this on, on a podcast where I was talking about, you know, becoming a father and, and what that's going to look like. And I, I kind of already know what type of dad I'm going to be and what I'm not going to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to learn some stuff along the way. But one of the things specifically with sports that I talked about is like, look, if, if I didn't raise my hand and volunteer to coach, whether it's t-ball or football or wrestling or whatever the situation is, then that means someone else is my kid's coach. Mm-hmm. Someone else is going to be coaching baby Thompson, right? right? That's what's going to happen. Now, the thing is, is when my son comes home and if there's something that I'd like to show them or help them work on as well, I, I can do that. Right. But if that's in direct countervention to what the, the coach taught them, I just create a little bit of a schism right. because now it's well, dad told me to respect coach, but to- coach is telling me to respect dad, but dad and coach are telling me two completely different, different things. things. Right. And, and so that, that's part of the problem where it's like, if you didn't raise your hand, 
if you're not in there, if you don't have the knowledge, then then just kind of let other people come in and take care of business because it's going to be to the benefit of your child. Right. But even even further than that, I think we live in this era of specialization now where you've seen a lot of these parents that are like, okay, you got to pick a sport for your kid mm. when they're like two. Mm. And then you stick them with that sport and they just do that sport. Why? Because scholarships, because we have college, you know, tuition going up at 10 times the rate of inflation or something like that. And here they are thinking, well, I got to get this kid to be a national champion wrestler. And if he's not looking good by the age of seven, it's just never going to quite work out. <laughs> so for you, uh, and then then we'll, we'll uh, kind of go into some other subjects, but for you, do you feel like it's a benefit for a child as they're growing and developing? So let's let's think, you know, uh, you know, early elementary school on into junior high to play a lot more sports. Do you like the idea of them specializing in something early? Do you feel like it's even possible for them to know what bodily would be best for them from a sports perspective? What do you think about specialization? I, uh, I'm i not a fan. I like, you know, I like for them to do different things personally because it gets them out of that box. And there's no guarantee that you're going to accomplish everything in that one sport. So why not let them experience some different things? You know, when they get to that certain age of like junior high, right, where you got to almost choose, you know what I mean? Just because if they overlap or anything like right. that, okay, then you make that decision. Yeah, you can't do basketball yeah. and wrestling. That doesn't really While they're out. still young right now, let them experience the stuff, you know? And don't get me wrong, some of them, they're going to experience some, a lot of the things that you did. Some of them may do something different. And I know there's some people that, that like the, the specialized stuff, and kudos to them. That's how they raise their child. I'm not that child's father. But the way we do it in our household, and even when I was growing up, like me and my brothers, we all did multiple sports. We all did multiple sports, right? And I just think it 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 made us well rounded, right? It mm-hmm. made us well rounded, you know. And especially whether you're doing a like I said, football team sport, wrestling, still kind of you're individual, but there is a team aspect. But you're only concerned about yourself when you're out there wrestling. So. It made me well-rounded. It made me understand that, you know, hey, I also have to lift teammates up in football. I still got to lift teammates up in wrestling, right? I won my rap match, but my buddy my buddy lost. So I had to go, go lift that guy up. So that's my perspective. I know everybody's different, different strokes for different folks, and uh, people are going to do different things. But I just I think it's good for them to experience different things because it just helps them out in the long run. And then when they get older – okay, these are my two sports that I'm going to do. Sure. I'm going to choose these two. Well, and developmentally, we were talking about this. I was talking about this with one of the buddies I went to the Bedlam duel with. Uh, you know, wrestlers, they learn explosion, you know, forward and back. That That's kind of their explosion. But like if you're a tennis player, your explosion is left and right. right. Like you need to be able to explode in all those different directions. And so the thing is, and I think about this, especially with baseball, because I grew up playing baseball. But whenever I grew up, there wasn't year-round baseball, right? right? So you didn't have fall league baseball. You just didn't have those things. But now you do. And so you have these kids that, you know, they're 10 and they're they're throwing they're throwing curveballs and they're learning how to do these things that put a tremendous amount of torque on their shoulder and elbow and then their parents are like they're flabbergasted in high school whenever they have to get shoulder surgery or elbow surgery or something like that it's like Mm -hmm. well their body had no time to recover they didn't have a basketball season to just kind of worry about the wear and tear of basketball and maybe your knees and your ankles they didn't have you know a, a different sport they didn't have track and field they didn't have anything else that they were doing to where they could recover but also learn some of those other ancillary 
ancillary skills. But the thing that's so interesting about wrestling, and I, I said I was going to move on, but I wanted to kind of go one more thing. At Undaunted Life, we talk about spiritual, mental, and physical resilience all the time. Mm-hmm. And part of the thing about resilience is it's not strength, because strength is its own separate beast. Mm-hmm. Resilience right. is the ability to bounce back. Because anybody can be strong mentally when things are going really, really well. But when you're in the middle of the storm, that's when you need the ability to bounce back. Right. And so I personally having not wrestled at the level that you did and without any kids that are currently in wrestling, hopefully you'll be coaching my son someday, but without any of that happening, I feel like wrestling and jujitsu are the two sports for kids that will teach them more about how to succeed in life because of the level of resilience they have to have. And specifically, I've got a guy out in Cash, Oklahoma, so shout out to Chris Zerzevi and the Zerzevi family that are listening to this. They've got their kids in wrestling at a young age, and I know to a large degree, because dad didn't wrestle, it's because they want their kids to be tough, regardless of if they're good at wrestling or not they want their kids to be tough so it is my summation of how important wrestling or grappling is to kids is that accurate do you agree with that where would you go with that every kid should wrestle okay every kid should wrestle it's so why from your perspective from having perspective, seen it for so because long it's unlike any other it's it teaches the kid we've talked about the the core values we've talked about getting back up on that horse and riding again. We've talked about toughness. We've talked about mental toughness. We've talked about heart. We've talked about all of that stuff. I've had kids that have come into our program that were extremely shy. By the time the season was over with, totally different kid. I have kids that come in that either had whether anger problems or not doing good in school or not much structure at school or maybe even at home. By the end of the season or another year, totally different, right? And that's one of the big key things that we talk about in our program and that I love to see, right? Um, whether it's a kid sticking up for another kid that's being bullied, whether it's a kid that was making all D's, now all A's, um, whether it's a kid that was never would go out for a lead play but now is the star of the place, different things like that. And more important, not only does it teach the kid something, and I tell them this, it teaches the parents something about themselves, right it teaches them they also need to learn how to control their emotions because if you put a camera on some of these parents when their kid is wrestling and maybe some of the things that come out of their mouth they'd be totally shocked totally shocked but then turn you're trying to tell your son to act this way but you've acted this way right there is nothing like the sport of wrestling period point blank once it gets into your DNA, it's hard to get out, right? It's just, it's contagious. And regardless if you do it for a long period of time or short period of time or five or six years, maybe not wrestled in high school, you have it. And when you wrestle, nine times out of ten, the wrestlers usually are your best athletes on the team, whatever team that may be, right? Because they have it here They have it upstairs. They have it in their heart because they're used to that one-on-one combat. Grappling, jiu-jitsu, same type of deal. You're used to that. There's nobody else out there. Mm -hmm. You got tapped out. Not Johnny that didn't get – not him. It's you. You got beat. You got taken down. You gave up that takedown with 10 seconds left, right, in the state championship because you were stalling and not wrestling or whatever the case may be. So am I biased? Yes, But I think every kid should wrestle, 
girl or boy, because girls' women's wrestling is blowing up. I mean, we had the first uh, women's state championship or exhibition because it wasn't sanctioned down at the fairgrounds this past weekend. We have 313 girls, you know, registered to wrestle, right? So it just – I could go on and on about that. Wrestling, it's, it's awesome. It teaches you so many values, so many characteristics, what life is about because the world we live in is crazy. And to have that wrestling to fall back on, going through tough times, whether it's socially, academically, whatever the case – you push through, man, because, you know, like Dan Gable said back in the day, once you've wrestled, everything else is easy, man. Like, it's crazy. It is crazy. And these kids don't get it now, just like I didn't get it now when I was starting to wrestle. But the older you get, the more you're like, you know what, this is such a blessing to have this. And you don't have to be a state champ. You don't have to be an All-American. You don't have to be a national champion, right? But more than likely, you're still going to be successful in the real world if you have that in your back pocket as far as wrestling goes and that's my opinion i know some people that do other sports and there's other sports that have great core values as well but we're specifically talking about the sport that i know and love well if you've got if you've got a wrestler that's made it through through high school let's just say they wrestled through their senior year but especially if they've gone to college they found the quit inside of them at some point and then they just pushed that aside and kept going. That may have happened earlier in their wrestling career. Maybe it was when they got to the university that they went to. Maybe that's whenever they found quit inside of them. And then they just pushed it aside. Yep. That's the interesting thing about wrestlers. Cause there's, there's a UCO wrestler that, you know, is part of my foxhole. So part of the guys that, that know me and I know them, his name's Shelby Bullard. And he's one of those guys where I've talked about on the podcast before my goal every Sunday night is to make him look uncomfortable. Cause I lead my guys through a workout. I try to make it especially brutal because if we're going to work out, we might as well work out hard. And that's the thing is he finally just looked at me one day and says, Kyle, it's never going to happen. And so he just, cause he just goes to that place in his brain, that, that place where it's like, this is nothing. Kyle thinks that this is hard. Kyle doesn't know what hard is because I, I went through the gauntlet yeah. in the UCO wrestling room yeah. that, that none of the people in this room even understand. And the other thing about wrestlers, is they don't seem to be the guys that are pounding their chest talking about all the accolades from back in the day. Sure, you got the guys that are, you know, talking about how many guys they took down, how many fights they got in and all that. that that's fine and good for them, I guess. But that's the thing about wrestlers that whenever I think about my son, and I told you this off air and I'm going to say it on air because I want people to know this. When I opened up the email that said that we were having a boy, both my wife and I thought we were having a girl. We knew that. One of the first thoughts, one of the first ones, I don't know if this is appropriate or inappropriate, was awesome. I'm going to have a kid that's going to be coached by Hardell Moore because it's like you're in my community where we're actually neighbors. For those of you that don't know, uh, we live in the same community, but it's just like you look at those opportunities and I'm like above everything else. Like, I want my kid to be smart. I want my kid uh, to, to be a, a good lover of, of women and of, of his friends and to be able to uh, be a good servant. I want all those things for him. But above everything else, I want this kid to be resilient. I want him to be tough because no matter what situation comes to him in life, mm-hmm. that, that is going to serve him well because whether it's a professor that just doesn't like him, doesn't like the way that he thinks, and they just want to make this an example out of this kid, hey, it's going to be no big deal. Yep. Whether they're going 
going through marital problems, whether they they suffer a death of a family friend or, or something like that, whenever it's not expected, there are things that you can put on a hierarchy of suckiness. And wrestling's right. almost always at the top of hierarchy of suckiness yeah. because it's a grind every single day. And so that's the thing that I feel like I respect most about wrestlers and the people that train in those types of things at such an early age. And that's where we see even things like jujitsu now. They're becoming incredibly unpopular for kids. Right. Whereas back in the eighties and nineties, it was karate, and you know, people. It took them a while to realize that's not like a real fighting style. It's not super effective, mm-hmm. but it's like it was. It just gave the kids something to do. But now, if they're doing grappling at that young age, again, like you said, the lessons that they're learning, it, it's it's easy for you and I to sit back and kind of be romantic about it. But it's so real for them, and it's just like, dude, this is a seed that's been planted that's not going to sprout for a really really long time. Yeah. But it's going to be awesome once it does. It's. It's life lessons. Sure. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. It's life lessons. You know, there's a, you know, you talking about being tough and everything, you know, being Oki State, man, cowboy up. You got to get up. You got to get up, man. You got to, you got to bounce back because no one's going to hand you anything. Right. You have to go earn it. And like I said, I've, I've had, I've had great comments from parents and uh, just, how it's how the parents have changed what they what they have seen their child do like how much they've seen their child grow through a season of wrestling and how that has helped mold that young man or young woman you know for the future that's the key absolutely and so um a lot of great stuff there so i know the parents listening to this really got a lot out of that because guys if you don't understand you're listening to one of the great coaching minds uh in any sport in any area i truly believe that but one thing that we've talked about uh that's really worked uh worked its way into the wrestling community is mixed martial arts we've right. mentioned that we've mentioned some mixed martial arts fighters and so the the thing that's so fun about watching this sport evolve because i remember my dad taking me to hastings to rent ufc one and ufc two and we're like who's this guy in these pajamas beating yeah. up all these big biker looking dudes what is what's going on and so you get to see what works and what doesn't but obviously if any guys wrestled at the level that you wrestled at you probably at least thought about it like again the mma wasn't as big whenever you were getting done with your wrestling career but if you could look back you you know if we're in the if we're in today's era of mma but it was back when you were finished up wrestling right do you think you would have been at least interested in putting some gloves on and throwing hands like what did would there be any appeal to that for you i would have had to fight my mama first and she oh come on (laughs) mom wouldn't like it mama Moore would have liked it mama Moore wasn't no she wasn't no joke man she raised three boys um you know it was a thought, but that's all it was. It was a thought. You know, I, I, I that wasn't the way I wanted to go. Um, and, uh, and like I said, that's all it was, was a thought, you know. And after that, I moved on and went on with my career, you know. So, but kudos to everybody that's that's done that and, and continued to, uh, you know, make strides in doing that. You know, now, like I said, it's on, a, it's on a way bigger platform than what it was back in the day. So, but like I said, it was a thought and we skipped on past that and kept on moving. Well, that's one of the cool things is when you see these big time wrestlers like a Kyle Snyder or a Bo Nickel, the question is always, okay, so when are you going to make that transition? Right. When are you going to go pro and, and become an MMA fighter? And, and they both talked openly about it, Bo Nickel probably more than Kyle Snyder has. Right. But I think I think you would agree with this, so I'm not going to ask you, is wrestling the best base when it comes to mixed martial arts? Because when we look at the champions uh, within mixed martial arts, the overwhelming majority of the champions right now, and really at any time, they are they are mainly wrestlers. So I'll actually go down a list right now of the current UFC champions. So at heavyweight, you got Stipe, so wrestling base. Yeah. Light heavyweight, you got John Jones, wrestling base. Middleweight, 85, that's Israel Adesanya, so he's more of a striker, Strike. no wrestling. Right. But welterweight, you got Kamaru Usman, 
So that's another wrestler. Yep. Lightweight, you got Habib Nurmagomedov. Wrestling. That's a different kind of wrestling, but it's that's certainly wrestling. wrestling. Yep. Featherweight, you got Alexander Volkanovsky. Uh, more of a rugby base, but that guy has a very, very wrestling-heavy style. Henry Cejudo uh, down at Bantamweight. Obviously, this is, you know, he calls himself Triple C, but Olympic gold medalist, and right. then he was a two-division uh, two champion, and then you have the vacant flyweight title, but the previous champions have been wrestling-heavy. Wrestling seems to be that one skill that you can dictate where the fight's going to go. But the the question I have for you is of the other popular MMA uh, mediums, right? So you got to talk about jujitsu, Muay Thai, Western boxing, kickboxing, judo, which since you watch a lot of MMA, what do you feel like is kind of that next best thing that if you're going to be an MMA fighter, a successful MMA fighter, I think we can all agree that wrestling has to be the base, but what is that next most important skill? I think it's boxing. Okay. And, you know, in my, my, my personal opinion, um, you know, just because you got to be able to handle yourself on your feet, you know, in my two cents. And then, you know, wrestling base, once you do get stumbled a little bit or have a guy wobbled a little bit, well, you're obviously going to take that person down to the ground more your home base. So, you know, that's probably one of the biggest things for anybody to get used to is getting punched in the mouth, punched in the face, right, and, and understanding how to absorb that. Right, you know, moving right and left, so on and so forth. So, um, I wish I would have boxed a little bit more when I was younger, but I didn't. But I think you know the boxing part is probably is, is another big aspect of that, just because, of course, that's where every fight starts. Right, um, is right on your feet. So, um, learning how to uh, put those combinations together. And then, if you got a strong wrestling background, I think that's just a bigger, bigger asset as well. Absolutely. So. The thing that you and I have talked a lot about off air is uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. The thing is, I've still yet to convince you, and I'm pretty good at sales, to put a gi on and get on the mat in your danger pajamas and get after it. So what is your big reason? We got a lot of people that listen here in the Oklahoma City area that know which gym I'm talking about. The Forge down in the middle of Edmond, Oklahoma. They need Hardell Moore to put on some of those PJs and get in there and roll. What do you say? Not get me in the gi. I, I, I mean, hey, I, we got no gi. That's pretty much wrestling. But yeah. but why why can't we get you in I the gi? I like the gi. Even now, when I'm asking you right now, yep, putting all this pressure now. on you. Oh, there's no pressure, no. I'm not putting the gi on. Okay, so so what is your what is the deal? Why why can't like we get you with the gi on? I don't like the gi. You, have you had it on before? I've had it on before. Okay, well, what didn't you like because about it? Because you can just grab everywhere and choke me without having anything right so it's like, like getting in gee. a fight with clothes on no, i don't like to gee not a fan next question well i mean uh, just to just to stay on that question for a little bit longer can we say would it be fair for me to say here i am going in my sales psychology yeah. language would it be fair to say that you haven't given it enough of a try to be able to fully evaluate whether or not it would be an effective thing for you to continue training not going to be effective for me. Man, come on. All right, fine. We will go to the next question, you bum. <laughs> fine. But one of these days, I promise, and I will post a picture on our Instagram. I'm getting you in a gi. We're getting you in the competition <laughs> class. But so with the kind of staying with MMA, we've got a couple of really huge fights coming up here in the world of MMA. And I want to talk about two specifically because these are fights that uh, one was a fight that no one really saw coming. And the other fight is one that's been booked so many times. But the, right. actually this Saturday of the recording of this on March 7th is UFC 248 in the main event is Israel Adesanya, who's a 185-pound champion, versus Yoel Romero. Now, uh, for Yoel Romero, he's actually coming off a loss. He lost mm-hmm. to Paulo Costa in a very, very controversial decision. I actually scored it for Yoel Romero. But Yoel Romero is the boogeyman of the 185-pound division. Guys will fight him, but no one's saying his name. Right. But Israel Adesanya, 
who, who just dismantled Robert Whitaker in Australia not that long ago. Um, he's he's kind of on this meteoric rise. Um, you know, he's beat Anderson Silva. You know, he, he's had these incredible fights. Um, he actually called out Yoel Romero, which was really, really interesting. But the, the reason why Israel Adesanya called out Yoel Romero is exactly the reason I said earlier. He said it's because nobody says nobody. the man's name. Right. And he's like, that's a guy, He he's a 42-year-old Cuban freak beast type of a guy. Like, he, it just doesn't make sense the things he's able to do with his right. body. But he said he didn't feel like his legacy would be complete if he didn't beat Yoel Romero. Yeah. Because Yoel Romero, he might fight until he's 60 years old, but at some point he's going to lose a step or two. I'm, I'm not totally convinced of that but i'm assuming father time is going to come for yoel romero as well eventually yeah eventually but for you as, as you're kind of looking forward to this fight you've watched both of them fight quite a bit obviously you've you've known yoel romero from his wrestling days uh wrestling for cuba what's kind of your read of this fight and then and then we'll get into your pick for who you think's going to win well you know i think uh adesanya definitely cannot let yoel get in close um you know y- yoel kind of fights like he used to wrestle um, he sprints. He's, he sprints. Yep. And when he explodes, he goes. And it's it's usually lights out for the majority of people. So I think, uh, you know, Adesanya is going to probably do a good job of kind of keeping his distance, using his reach, using his length, using his kickboxing to kind of keep Yoel away from him. Um, he can't let him grab him. If he grabs him, that dude's going to go to the mat. Now, you know, the question is, it's a five-round fight. Um, Yoel's conditioning you know, how much will that play a factor, right? You know, like you talked about, you got all these big muscles. That stuff needs oxygen. Yep. Um, you know, Israel's it's probably a why bit, he sprints yeah. the way that he does. Israel's a little bit more slimmer. Um, uh, moves probably a little bit, uh, moves better than Yoel, but that power in either hand, knees, it's deadly. So it's, it'll be interesting. I'm pretty sure Adesanya's probably the favorite just because he's the champ would be my guess. Um, you know, and, and, and that dude went out there and, and took Whitaker out in one round. You know, Yoel didn't do that in the uh, in, in either those two fights that he had with him. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. I mean, that's what's awesome about it. You got a, a, a bulk job in Romero, the way he looks at 42 years of age. And then you got a tall, slender dude of Adesanya, the way he looks as well. And they're going to they're going to clash. But like I said, my guess is Adesanya is going to keep him at distance and uh, use his jab, use his footwork, use his kicks, use his Muay Thai and stuff like that and his boxing to keep him at distance and try to weather the storm early if there is one if there is a couple of sprints in there not go lax for a second or two and uh he'll win by decision i'm not gonna say he's gonna knock him out yeah is he by decision is he by decision yeah, so I thought a lot about this fight because it was one of those fights that I thought, you know, I was not going to fight him, but it just kind of worked out. Paul Acosta hurt his, uh, he like uh, messed up his bicep tendon, had to have surgery, so he wasn't in line to fight, and no one's going to complain seeing Yoel uh, Romero in a fight. The, the biggest thing about this fight that I actually think is no one's really talking about it is, is Yoel going to beat the scale? Because Yoel Romero should have already been the 185-pound champion when he knocked out Luke Rockhold, when he not shot him into orbit. Yeah, he was, should have he should have got the strap that night, but he missed weight. And so the, the title was on the line for Luke Rockhold, but not for Yoel Romero because it was a vacant title at the time. But Because uh, I, I think it was Whitaker that gave it up. But, you know, Israel Adesanya obviously looked great against Whitaker. He actually, he knocked him down at the very end of the first round. So Whitaker made it out of the first round, right. got knocked down in the second. But it may as well, it was basically done within the first round. Right. Whitaker got saved by the bell. But the, the thing about this fight that I think people are forgetting, and this is the reason why, spoiler alert, that I'm picking Yoel Romero. I think Israel Adesanya is a skosh overrated. 
So I, I don't want to be a hater and be like, oh, you just don't like, you know, when he danced on the way to the octagon, you don't like the antics, you don't like the brashness. That doesn't really bother me. I think he's a little bit overrated. I think he was exposed by Kelvin Gastelum. And this is not a slight to Kelvin Gastelum at all. But I think he got exposed a little bit because Kelvin Gastelum is not great at anything except for fighting. And what I mean by that is he's not an otherworldly wrestler. Like he grew up in uh, Arizona or New Mexico. He wasn't even a state champion in, in a state that didn't have great wrestling, right? He's not an incredible Western boxer. He's not an incredible Muay Thai fighter. He's not an incredible jujitsu practitioner. Mm-hmm. He's just a good fighter. And he went in there and he hurt Israel Adesanya twice significantly in that five round fight. And in the fourth round of that fight, he hurt Israel Adesanya. Adesanya ran, backed up to the fence and Gaslam shot a takedown. He had Israel Adesanya on Queer Street, and all of a sudden, he shoots a double-leg takedown. It, it was one of the most flabbergasting decisions I've ever seen. But he also landed a head kick on Israel Adesanya. Gotcha. Now, if you don't know who Kelvin Gastelum is, Kelvin Gastelum is about five foot eight, fighting at 185 pounds. Yeah. He is tiny for that weight division, but he's very, very thick. Yeah. So a guy like Yoel Romero, when he hits you, you don't move, right? You just go down. Right. This is not a guy. I mean, I, you know, all with all due respect to Robert Whitaker, who withstood those blows, he's a guy that just does damage. And he does so much damage in those short sprints. I don't know that Israel Adesanya, like, it's, it almost feels a little bit like the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder fight that we saw a couple of weeks ago. Okay. Now, before that fight, everyone thought Deontay Wilder just needed to connect once. He doesn't need to be a good boxer, he needed to, to connect once. But Tyson Fury had to fight a perfect fight for did. every single second. And, you know, he came out the aggressor and we all saw how that worked out. I feel like Israel Adesanya has to fight a point style fight. You know, he thinks he can knock out Yoel Romero. He might, he might actually do that. But I think Yoel Romero has to be good for five second spurts, a handful of times in that fight. He's, he might get some 10-8 rounds because of that. He might send Israel Adesanya to the, to the hospital. He might break him off one. So it's just kind of one of those deals. So you got Adesanya, yeah. I got Romero. But the other fight, and this is kind of the big one, this is a fight that MMA hardcore fans and even novice fans have been following and wanting to happen for, for a really long time. At UFC 249 on April 18th, we have Habib Nurmagomedov fighting Tony Ferguson for the 155-pound belt the lightweight title the thing about this fight is this is now the fifth time that this fight has been booked this fight has been booked and it's been canceled habib had to pull out at different points tony ferguson had to pull out the last time tony ferguson had to pull out of the fight on fight week because he tripped over some cords at a television station blew every tendon in his knee you know they had to find a short you know a a short-term replacement you know they they tried to get max holloway in there they tried it was just a mess it was a mess uh, whenever the ufc had that but we we actually think that the mma gods are going to let these two finally get in the gone and get after it so kind of give me your read uh, about you know habib being the 155 pound champion very very dominant he's lost one round in his M- mma yeah. career and it was in his fight against conor mcgregor he lost the third round of that fight versus tony ferguson who's one of the most the least conventional fighters that we've yeah, ever seen but an incredibly damaging fighter what's kind of your read of that matchup well you know um what's it el kukui el kukui el kukui the boogeyman el kukui um that dude has a unique style man I mean, very unique style, and he does it his way. And it's very effective for him his way. You know, his gas tank is always on full. Um, you know, and the big thing is if uh, Habib gets that weight under control and, and you know, his gas tank isn't too bad either, like uh, he doesn't probably th- throw as well on his feet as Tony does, right? Uh, I think Tony's probably got him, you know, I know he's taller than him, but his reach will probably be out there. You know, I'm uh, – first off – Hope the fight goes off. Let, let's let's say that first and foremost. But second off, I just think uh, 
I just think that dude's on a I just think I think Habib's on a different level. I think uh somehow, some way he's gonna get that dude to the ground. And, you know, talking with uh Crutchmer and even Daniel just a little bit about that, it's like his strength is unreal down there while how they kinda explain it to me. They said he feels extremely heavy. And we know he's strong as all get out, but they just say his balance and his movement down there, he just feels extremely heavy. And you know, you see these dudes get down like he says, I'm going I'm going to maul you. Mm-hmm. And he means that literally. And it's just a it's a different feel is what they tell me. You know, granted I've never felt it any anything like that, but just talking to those guys cuz they train with him. Um, you know, but I'm a pick a beeb in that, but like I said, I like Tony's style. Um, he's very unorthodox. You know, it's kind of like a wrestler, you know, Ben Askren, which, you know, funk, whatever they want to call, you know, it's unorthodox, but it worked for him. Right. And you see a lot more of this scrambling, kind of what Ben was Ben was doing unconventional, but it works. It's part of wrestling. Um, and that's kind of like with uh, El Kukui, like a lot of his movement and punches and kicks and different things that he does in that octagon. It's unorthodox, but it works for him. It probably wouldn't work for. 90% of the other guys, but it works for him. That, and that's what makes him so unique. So, But I'm still going to roll AKA. Okay, so you got AKA. You're picking Habib. How do you think the fight goes down? I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I don't think he's going to knock him out. I'm going to go another. I'll say I'm going to say submission in the fourth. Let's say Habib submission in the fourth. We'll go fourth round. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah. So I'm going to hit you with a Lee Corso. Not so fast. This is going to be the second prediction that I'm going to go with the underdog. I'm going with Tony Ferguson, but I've got a bunch of really good reasons why. But I'm going to keep some of them to myself, and I'm going to give you a few of them. So here's the deal. Is You're right. Both of them have great gas tanks. Those equal each other out. Right. Uh, both of them have uh, that, that dog in them, you know, yeah. like when things get tough, like, I mean, they're not going to quit. They're not going to be one of those types of people. Right. I think for either of those guys to get subbed, you're just gonna have to break it or you're gonna have to, you know, put them out. The reason why I think Tony Ferguson is going to win is because in almost every single one of Tony Ferguson's fights, even if he loses, which he has not done for seven yeah, years, I think it was the last time he lost a fight. He leaves you bloody. So everything, because people that talk about Tony Ferguson, everything on him is sharp. So his bones, his elbows, his shins, everything is just sharp because he's kind of a lanky, uh, one of those types of rangy guys. And this fight's taking place in New York. And if I can take you back to the BMF title, that nonsense title, that nonsense fight between (laughs) Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal, the BMF, baddest mother, you know what title, was decided on a cut. Nate Diaz had a huge cut over his eye and the, you know, New York State Athletic Commission doctor came in and stopped the fight. I think that we might see this fight get stopped because of a cut. I think man, that if that when happens, it, people are going to be upset. Oh, man, Dagestani or whatever they're called, they're going to be coming oh, over here looking man. for blood. But here's the deal Ooh. is when Tony gets taken down, he's like, okay. Yeah, Where, whereas whenever Dustin Porio got taken down by Habib, whenever Connor got taken down, when anyone else has got taken down by Habib, it's like, oh, no, what do I do now? I'm stuck here. Tony's like, great. 
my my back's on the mat. I get to elbow you in the face now. That's the thing with him is he has one of the most active guards. So if Habib takes him down and he gets him in full guard, I think Tony's going to be throwing a lot of strikes from the bottom. Now, the other thing you have to worry about is if it goes to decision, these New York State Athletic Commission judges, we don't know if if they think, oh, the guy's on top, so he's clearly winning the round. Right. Well, if, you're, if you get the guy down and then you do nothing else with that position, you get busted up from the bottom, you lose that round. You should lose that round. But here's the other thing is Tony Ferguson has really, really slick defenses especially as Darsh choke okay Dustin Poirier almost submitted Habib Nurmagomedov now Dustin Poirier is a black belt but he's not an otherworldly jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. fighter and if he had closed full guard on Habib he'd probably be the 155 pound champion right now if Tony Ferguson gets his neck Habib's not getting it back mm-hmm. and so with Habib the only way he wins this fight is by taking Tony down at least five times and holding him there and doing some ground and pound. That's how he gets to win this fight. But I think Tony can win. I don't think he's going to win with kind of one punch, you know, Superman knockout. Right. I don't think he's going to do that. But he can win by a cut. He could he could take, you know, three rounds by being more active on bottom if he is taken down. And Tony Ferguson is not a slouch wrestler. This yeah. is a legit dude. Now, Habib makes, you know, boys out of men when it comes to the wrestling department. But it's one of those things that if, if Habib makes one mistake... I think he he could be going to sleep, and I think it would be a Darsh choke. So my prediction is going to be a fourth round submission finish. But I got it by by Tony Ferguson. But one guy that we've mentioned a few times, or I've mentioned a few times, we've mentioned Conor McGregor. So he's obviously on his comeback trail. He uh, he destroyed Cowboy uh, Cerrone here in his last fight here earlier this year. But there's a lot of to do about who he's going to fight next. He says he wants Habib, but you know Habib's fighting Tony in April, and then he's got Ramadan, and he's not going to be available until September. Are we really going to see Conor McGregor? sit out for nine months after his incredible performance in January. Who knows? Right. There's other names that have been thrown out there. Jorge Masvidal, Nate Diaz, Justin Gaethje. But I want to kind of ask you, who do you want to see Connor fight next? And then also, who do you think he will fight next? I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Gaethje, if you want my uh, honest opinion. Um, I think Gaethje's got a real good chance of beating him, um, especially, I mean, whether it's on his feet or, his, or, or, or wrestling. You know, people, I think uh, – Gaethje wrestled, uh, was it north of Colorado? He wrestled somewhere around in that area. But I think, uh, you know, and I know Gaethje's kind of changed the style a little bit. You know, I mean, he's still a brawler, don't get me wrong, but right. not like he was when he first came out, man. And, you know, he understands that, you know, this time is short and he's got to get the most out of that than possible. So he's not going in there just to get hit. See how many times I can get hit and let me knock you out with this one blow. So um, I think uh, between, between those guys, I'd like to see him fight Gaethje, but – who knows? There's not a contract signed. There's not anything like that signed yet. So only time shall tell, brother. Yeah, that's the thing with him is you got a lot of the names being thrown out. Now, here's the thing is I think Gaethje is incredibly dangerous. He's an incredibly brutal fighter. I think he would beat Habib also. I think Gaethje's got that style that it's just like, go ahead, take me down. I think he could wear him out with leg kicks as well. But selfishly, because I'm a Conor McGregor fan, but also because I'm an MMA fan, like when, when Conor's doing well, MMA's, MMA's doing, doing well. well yeah. I want to see him fight Nate Diaz next because I think he can win that fight. Uh, again, their second fight was brutal. Right. Like it was a brutal five-round knockdown drag out. But I think Nate Diaz is an incredibly overrated fighter and he's not nearly as dangerous as Justin Gaethje is. Like because Justin Gaethje is going to, you know, potentially send you to the moon, whereas Nate Diaz is just going to wear on you for, you know, for potentially five rounds, maybe sneak in a submission. But I really, really, 
really, really want to see Conor McGregor fight for a title at the end of this year. So let's say Habib wins. Let's say your prediction is right, which would be the first time ever you got a prediction right. But let's just say, <laughs> let's just say you got that right. That sets up a stadium fight later this year. So there's already been people talking about if, let's say Habib beats Tony and let's say Conor beats, you know, fill in the blank fighter at the end I of the know year. Where you're going with this. I mean, you, you got the brand new Raiders Stadium in Vegas. You got, you got, you know, Jerry World down in Dallas. That fight is already, it will be the biggest fight in MMA history and it fills up a stadium, right? You don't got to do it in Moscow. No need to do that. You don't got to do it in Dublin. You do that in Vegas, you do that in Dallas and you can fill up the entire entire place and the world will stop to watch that rematch. And again, if you believe what Connor's coaches were saying in the lead up to the Habib fight, Connor would disappear for three or four days at a time and go on a bender, you know, just drinking and doing whatever else, partying. It didn't seem like he was taking things very seriously. Now, I don't know that that makes a big difference if he really concentrates. I don't know if that makes a big difference because Habib has the perfect style to beat a Connor McGregor type fighter. But that's what I want to see. I want to see an easy-ish fight for Connor this summer. Not not easy. like another tune-up fight. And Nate Diaz isn't an easy night out for anybody. But I want to. I just want Connor McGregor to win. And I feel like even if he beats a guy like Justin Gaethje, he might have two broken legs and like, won't yeah, be able to walk out of the octagon, you know what I mean? That's for sure. Yeah, so it's going to be an interesting year. There's a lot of really good fights. I mean, they're going to have to make up a date out of thin air for those two because yeah. the MMA calendar is pretty much full already until the summer. Well, the good thing is they're deep, right? They got a yep. lot of different options. They got a lot of different choices, and, you know, that's what uh, that's what the fans want to see, you know, in all due respect. So, only time shall tell. Yep, yep. Well, we'll uh, we'll put a bow on the MMA stuff, and we'll move into a couple of the last things before we let you go. So, obviously, for you, uh, I've known you as a coach, but also I've known you as a as a husband and as a father and those types of things. And so, for me, uh, I, my wife and I will have been married for eleven years, and Lord willing, by the time our baby boy uh, comes into the world, and we get to meet him. But obviously, you, you've got a uh, you've got a wife that you've been married to for a long time. You've got your oldest son and your youngest daughter, and so for you to me, you know, as a friend, but also just as, as a person that knows a thing or two about life, what would be some of your kind of on your short list of things to advise me on when it comes to raising a firstborn son, which, you know, again, Lord willing, that's exactly what I will be doing in, in being a good husband while also maintaining being a good father and being a good influence to the greater community. What advice would you give to me a new father? Patience. First and foremost, be patient. And that patient comes from being patient with your wife, being patient with your child, because us as men have the slightest idea of what that woman's going through and what that woman feels at different times throughout the day, throughout the night, um, and trying to raise that child. And a lot of the times it's them by themselves because that's who that child needs at that point in time, right? We are, we are there for a few minutes compared to a lot of hours, if that makes sense, because they need their mom, they need the milk, they need the cuddling. That's what they need. So patience is number one. And like I said, that's with your wife and that's with uh, your child, right? Um, number two, priorities. Your priorities will change. Um, my priorities changed. When Maddox was born and I was still doing the Edmund Generals at that time, like I told my parents at the beginning of the season, like when Maddox gets here, when my child is born, 
you know, I had a, a four or five, maybe no more than six tournaments that I was going to, and, and three of them were national tournaments and a regionals in a state with another one, right? And I informed all my coaches, all my volunteer coaches or volunteer dads that wanted to help out that I'll be at practice, but I won't be at 90% of the tournaments this year. Priorities change, right? Nobody had a problem with it because they're all parents. They all got it. They all understood. Um, you're going to be where your child is at. I'm not going to leave my wife at home all day with the kid eight weeks in a row. You know what I mean? So that changed. That's priorities. Also with that, even my practice schedule changed. Like I I had where I would have some help and be like, hey, man, I'm not coming to practice today. You know, you guys, you guys run practice. So for those first two years with that, priorities was a big part. You know, then when Maddox got a little bit older and can come with me, that kind of that helped the routine out a little bit more. Right. So patience, priorities and, you know, comfort. Comfort's another one because your wife's going to do this. Right. She's going to have good days and she'll have bad days. And sometimes it depends on how that kid is doing. If she has a good day or bad day and your job as the father, your job as the husband is to give her that space and understand and observe, right? Observe and see how she's doing throughout the day. If she needs space, give her space. If it's a day where she's upbeat, chit-chat a little bit more. Because when I tell my wife, like, it's there's no adult conversation like in our household i was out working she was at home with the the kiddos there was no adult conversation right and those those first maddox's first you know five years four or five years before he went off to school was just them two then when emory came well emory came along with them so it was just them two at the house right then maddox goes to school emory's still at the house emory will go to pre-k next year so you know comfort because it's uh, there's going to be there's going to be your son's going to have a, a blow up about something and he's going to be crying all day about something. And if you're out of the house or if you're at work, if you're not here, you may not see that she deals with all of that. And that's where that comfort part comes in. So those are some of my things, patience, priorities and comfort. Like they all kind of go hand in hand and you'll there's no book to it. Right. Every kid is different. And no kid is raised the exact same way, right? And it's a learning process for everybody. Every child is different. Every book is different. Both of my kids are different, right? You have another one. Your other one's going to be different than this one, right? And those are things that you just got to – there's going to be ups and downs in it, you know. Um, Take as much off of her hands as you can. That's big. You know, whether, you know, if if she's got a – feed or pump or whatever the case may be or this by now you may be on bottles go do the bottle feeding that night like that's because they are in comatose for for a while man it's they are in comatose and that's why like i say no dude understands birth i it's the most amazing thing it's it's crazy the human body is nuts how all life is nuts and I don't think you get a true perspective of it until you go through this process that you're getting ready to go through and you experience it and you watch 
or you're there when your child is born and they put them right on the mom's chest right after that you cut the umbilical cord it's it's nuts man it's absolutely nuts so those are three things that i would kind of keep in in the back of your mind and i know there's a bunch more but those are a few things that i kind of kept in mind and still to to this day because you know there'll be some things that that change that you won't be able to do as much as you used to right and that's just that's a part of it because you got to understand they're sacrificing a lot and they've already sacrificed a lot and that's that's what makes a, a happy household that's what makes i mean you're working together and then when 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 little man gets a little bit older kind of roll back around to some of that stuff right and then it just it'll process but taking that time out with those priorities and helping out and doing different things just a little 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 bitty things man pays big dividends well i appreciate your perspective and uh, of course you would say one of my least favorite words in the english language first the that word being patience because i'm an incredibly <laughs> impatient person i just need things done now or five minutes ago and so uh, i'm sure there's a reason a cosmic reason why you said that probably, one first and probably. so no uh, comment no comment yeah yeah that'll be one of those things where uh we will we'll give you guys an update on that patience word and we'll see how that's going but the thing that i do like and the thing that i've been trying to do for my wife up to this point because we're in the third trimester is taking as many things off of her plate as possible to demand that she sit down and uh, put her feet up while I go take care of this, that, and the other thing. And so that's one of those things where um, that comes naturally for a lot of guys. Um, They're more intuitive with it, I'll say. Mm -hmm. Because for me, I might need to be told what to do. And that's kind of my wife and I struggle is she hates being a burden. And so I'm the guy that maybe doesn't look around the house and sees five things that need to be done. But if you give me a list, ooh, I just found a bunch of check boxes that don't have checks in them yet. I need to go take care of business. Yeah, and so that's kind of the give give and take that my wife and I have had right now. I was like, boo, I understand that you don't like asking for things. You don't like feeling like a burden, but you're going to burden me. And I'm going to have to ask you because I'm a, I'm a dummy, right? I'm, I'm kind of stupid and I, I just don't have those intuitive skills that you have, right. but that would be super helpful. And, and the thing that I'm, I'm most looking forward to in a lot of different ways is being able to lead a, a child and to raise them up in, in a Christian household, learning those values and not saying, hey, we don't just live in America, which has Judeo-Christian ethics that have just kind of been woven into society and all these different things, but that's not, ex- that's not real, doesn't attach to anything. No, I'm, I'm excited to kind of teach those things. So, so for you as a father, mm-hmm. but also as the spiritual leader of your household, how do you set the temperature for, for the household? Because most men, they, they're, a th- they're a th- thermometer. <laughs> they're not a thermostat when it comes to the spiritual nature of their house. It's just not something that they're active in. But how is that different for you with your wife, but also with your son or your daughter? I just try to lead by example. I think, you know, um, you know, always keeping a positive outlook on it and, you know, knowing that we're in all due respect, we're here for a short time, right? We're here for a short time and, and, and trying to do the best that we can while we're there. You know, we, uh, we go to church pretty much every Sunday um, that we can and just trying to live the right way and do the right things, you know, um, and listen while you're in there and take something away from it, right? And, you know, that's one thing when you go in and when you're, when you're going to church and you're listening to the preacher preach, like, it's like, it's weird because some of the stuff that they talk about, you're like, daggone it. I'm going through that right now. Yeah, sure. Or, it's like he's talking to me. Oh, who is he talking to, right? And, you know, uh, my daughter does Bible Blast at our at our church. They didn't do it this Sunday, but they do it for like, I don't know, six, six seven weeks. And just the 
hear some of the things that she talks about and also my son when he did it you know and learning their different verses and so on and so forth and going through the bible like it's pretty it's interesting like these kids are smart they're crazy smart um you know and just trying to lead by example man and my wife does an awesome job at it as well so you know we just kind of walk down that path hand in hand because you know the good lord has blessed us another day and we got to take advantage of that and make sure we're grateful because there's a lot of crazy in the world and you're not promised tomorrow you know what i mean you're not promised tomorrow and uh you just got to take advantage of it and make sure you're living the right life absolutely well we almost did two and a half hours of a podcast. It just kind of flew by, didn't it? Yeah, it's like we're in the we're in a time warp here. But I mean, we went everywhere. We we talked we about everywhere. everything we went under the, the bases sun a few times. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, that that's pretty much all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man. I uh, I appreciate you uh, allowing me this platform and and getting me over here to get this done. Um, you know, a couple of uh, uh, links I'll give out real quick with uh, OklahomaWrestlingAcademy.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram at Hardell Moore. We also have an Oklahoma Wrestling Academy Instagram as well. Um, but this is uh, this was fun, man. It didn't didn't seem that long, but you know, looking at my watch, it actually is. But I guess that's what happens when you're having a good time, man. So uh, you're doing awesome stuff over here, man. Um, continue success, Kyle. And uh, anything else you need from me, let me know. Except put me in a gi. Okay, well, you know, we're still going to work on that, but guys, we will make sure. Yeah, exactly. I'll give you guys an update. Uh, We will make sure that you have those links in the show notes. But Hardell Moore, thanks for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thanks, my man. Appreciate it. There it is, guys. Hope you enjoyed that. I know I enjoyed the conversation with Hardell Moore. I mean, it, we, we thought we were going to do about an hour, and then literally we looked up, and it was two and a half hours later. And so there's a lot of content in there. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. But before we let you guys go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. As you know by now, we are a men's ministry, and our mission is cultivating manly resilience. Specifically, we do that by providing content like this podcast that helps you forge spiritual, mental, and physical toughness. So for today, the links I've got for you, I've got the link to the Oklahoma Wrestling Academy OWA website. I've got the Instagram accounts for Hardell Hardell Moore and OWA. And then also I have an article that talks about Hardell Moore winning the Gallagher Award on uh, or back in 2016. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. If you would, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher, and refer your friends to listen and share this on social media. Guys, if we deserve a five-star review, that is how this podcast is going to continue to grow. So if you think we're four-star or, or below, just skip it, all right? But if you think we're five-star, please leave us that review in a few sentences letting us know why you like the content. I'm currently booking speaking engagements for the entirety of 2020. So if you want me to come speak to your team on your podcast at your men's event, just hit me up info at undaunted.life. Again, that's info at undaunted.life. The website is www.undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at undauntedlife or facebook.com backslash undauntedlife. Check out our free devotionals on the Version Bible app. Just search Undaunted Life under plans. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their entire music library for our content. The intro outro track on this podcast is our song King of Sorrow, which is off their latest record entitled Phantom Anthem. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep cultivating manly resilience, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical toughness, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>